Hello and welcome to another episode of the Uncommon Energy Podcast. On this week's episode, we'll be chatting through the results from the Oceania International Championships, which took place this past weekend. We've got a bit to talk about there. We'll, of course, also be talking about the NAIC dates, which were recently confirmed, and what some of the information that has come out could mean. We'll, of course, have Guess That Flavor Text, everyone's favorite segment of the podcast, and then we'll wrap it up by talking about Bochum and Knoxville regionals, which are taking place this weekend. Bochum in Germany and Knoxville in Tennessee in the U.S. of A. My name is Chip Ritchie, and I'm joined here, as always, by my co-host, Azul GG. What's going on, Azul? Uh, how was your week, man? You have anything exciting happen? <laughs> the week was pretty good. For anyone that doesn't know, I did win OCIC uh, over the weekend um playing lost box so it went about as good as it could have of course could have played a little bit better made a few less gameplay errors which we'll talk about a little bit later on but overall um definitely uh definitely a plus overall uh and yeah feeling pretty good after getting uh the win so now my second uh second international win which feels pretty good um and also like like a pretty like yeah, it always kind of feels like whenever I'm like not making top eights and stuff, regionals and stuff, I always feel like I'm like, am I falling off? Do I need to put in more time and more effort to keep up with everyone else? Um, but then it always feels good to get a win and, you know, be reassured that I'm still pretty much towards the top for the most part. Of course, there's always more you can do, but <clears throat> it is nice and reassuring to get a win, you know, knowing that I'm I'm still up there competing with uh, the best in the game pretty consistently. So that's pretty cool. Uh, and then we got Knoxville in uh, Bochum, like you mentioned, coming up this weekend. Um, but actually, I'm actually even headed headed out already a little bit sooner than that because uh, CGC, for those of you who don't know, I'm on their, uh, their competitive team. They're a sponsor of mine, um, so shout out to CGC. Um, they're putting on an invitational tournament that I'm going to be part of. It's going to be me and the rest of the team, uh, Caleb Gittimer, uh, Daniel Tavilla, and Kid Stark, and they'll be going up against some influencers and content creators uh, in the Pokemon uh pokemon space uh for a little bit of an invitational kind of more of a fun tournament more than anything nothing too serious um but it's gonna be a good time if you guys want to catch that action check out the cgc grading twitch channel cgc grading twitch.tv slash cgc grading so i'm gonna be doing that i'll be heading out literally tomorrow morning at like 6 a.m um it'll be happening on thursday so make sure you go ahead and uh check that out for sure um so i mean that was my week one OCIC, that's my week coming up. We got the CGC Invitational and then at Knoxville Regionals. Uh, Chip, how was your week? Um, you know, how did you like, it's your first time in Australia, right? So how'd you like Australia? Yeah, man, it was my first time in Australia and it was pretty sweet. I had a great time. Um, I feel like I maybe could have gotten to see a little bit more of the city or not city, but like of Australia. Like I didn't go, a few of the casters went to like this uh, like animal reserve type thing and saw like koalas and kangaroos and stuff. And I didn't do that kind of wish I had, but excuse me overall. Um, yeah. Had a, had a good time. It was beautiful. It was a very warm weather, which was nice. Uh, the flight and travel there is terrible. It is so yeah. bad, especially from the <laughs> East coast. It's like not great for you from the West coast, but from the East coast, it's like, it just makes it, it's like already going to be a bad day of travel from the West Coast. But the fact that you have to before you have the day of travel to Australia from the West Coast have to have a whole day to travel out to the east uh, from the east to the West Coast, like just adds it layers on makes it even yeah, worse. But, ways. And especially because my flight out had a 12 hour layover. I might I don't even remember if I talked about this last <laughs> week, but it was miserable. It was pretty bad. But 
Uh, but I'm home now, which is nice. And uh, turning around and running right back out the door to Knoxville because I'm casting Knoxville this weekend. So I'm excited for that. I'm actually not casting. I'm doing the analyst lounge this weekend. But I have yet. Do they interview? Do they usually interview the the winner of the stream in the analyst lounge, or how does that work? Yes, but the analyst lounge is shared between all three games. There's only oh. one set, so sometimes if one of the I've other streams is already using it, the winner has to get interviewed like at the desk or something. So yeah, it yeah. just kind of lucky for me, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I've yet to be depends. able to go back to the to the analyst lounge, <clears throat> unfortunately. <laughs> Maybe because yeah, I was on stream three times this week and I won all three. No, four times. Four times? Three times, three or four times. Yeah, well, we did all interviews for the ICs on stage. All all oh, the really? IC interviews were on stage. Yep. Oh, I guess I'm so lucky. Maybe one day I'll experience so, it. I just want to see where it is and see what like <laughs> what the setup looks like like in person. That's like oh I'm I'm just curious. I'm just curious to see it. That's kind of it. It's kind of like, different at there, every but, tournament, but uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know. It's 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 just back there, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's so like you're back doing... near where we're casting and stuff. But yeah, that's what I'm doing. I'm doing the lounge. I'll be doing the player interviews. I'll be doing like the between round segments and stuff where we can picking up random interviews throughout the day with different people who we haven't had on stream. Maybe, maybe, you know, picking up some other interesting segments here and there, whatever we can come up with. I've got some ideas brewing that we've been chatting about. So I'm doing that a few more times this season as well. I don't know if I'm like technically supposed to say that or not, but I am. So I'm <laughs> <laughs> looking forward to that and trying to like continue to make the, um, you know, lounge change it up a little content. bit as we're moving forward. So, um, but yeah. Uh, other than that though, let's just hop into it and talk about the results from OCIC. And I guess before we do anything that we have listed here in like our little outline as well, why don't you just kind of, I mean, you won the tournament pretty sweet. Yeah. Give us a little rundown of what the process kind of looked like, what your testing looked like and how you guys ended up on the deck that you ended up on. And um, maybe just a little bit about like your run, like some of the decks you played against and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, we did uh, quite a bit of testing cause we got in, most of us got in on Monday uh, before the tournament, um, we didn't really do any too much testing on Monday. The tournament started on. Did we get on Monday? I think we got on Monday. Yeah, we had to get on Monday. So we got on Monday. I think so. We didn't do too much testing the first day, if I remember correctly. I don't, maybe we did. We did a lot of. We played a lot of games. Um, we were really trying to uh, stress test control, um, trying to find where we thought its limit was, um, and we did expect a decent amount of people to play stuff like Birdkeeper or a Switch card alongside the Irida uh, and potentially the Snorlax as well. Uh, I think a decent amount. I mean, I played against a couple people with the Snorlax plus a switch card. Um, so I think our prediction was right to not play control because we were finding the matchup to be uh, not favorable overall if they had the switch card plus the Snorlax. Um, <clears throat> so we're really just stress testing uh, stress testing control for the most part while trying to go up with other things. And we went through like a couple of other ideas with like a, a Mew build um, and a Vika Vault build and stuff like that. Um, and all that while we were still like working on Lugia, because that was like always a consideration. So we were working on our Lugia list, uh, and then uh, a lost box list as well, just trying to come up with like the best, the, what we thought would be like the best lost box deck to potentially play for the tournament, playing around like specifically uh, the wash energy uh, that people would maybe include in their Lugia decks to stop the Raikus and the Kyogres from the lost box decks. So if you put the wash on the Manaphy, say, well, I can't KO it, and you can't take advantage of the big snipe attackers in raikou and kyogre so we ended up with a lost box build that was a little bit more straightforward with the prize trade 
uh, and then kind of ignored the snipe potential from something like the Raikou and the Kyogre by just not playing them and then being more consistent by just playing more cards that kind of just want to kill your opponents active or in kind of enabling those cards more with like the Zeraora and the Snorlax and the double choice belt again, but no, uh, like the big missing card from like the list, if you look at it is, is the Kyogre for sure. So there's no Kyogre. I think, uh, I think the one card that would have been nice to be honest, with, like looking back on it probably would have been a Raikou V to be honest. You wouldn't have used it every game. Um, and it still would have been tough to like set up and pull out, but I think the option for something like a Raikou V would have been pretty nice to be honest, but yeah, ended up with the lost box overall. We played a lot of games, a lot of different decks. Um, the lost box was the the way to go in the uh, in the end. Yeah, uh, it definitely feels like. Um, I mean, I was kind of popping around in and out. I was there a couple of times when you guys were testing, and there was a lot of discussion being had and a lot of <laughs> strong opinions being, you know, kind of talked through with the group and stuff. But um, yeah, this list feels very similar to the Kyogre deck that you've been playing most of this format, obviously without the Kyogre. And when you're not playing Kyogre, you can go down a recycler. You don't really need the Pokestop anymore. But yeah. I mean, other than that, like, I mean, this feels like it's probably five cards off of the Arlington list, something like that. It's um, pretty close. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's got the same supporter count and, um, yeah, overall, very similar to what you guys have been playing, but just kind of removing Kyogre. And that's it's actually funny because you've talked about removing that Kyogre, Kyogre from the deck for like <laughs> a while now. Yeah. But uh, what made it so that for this event, it just, yeah, I guess just Sableye Wash Energy being too big of a worry and you just thought none of those sniping attackers were worth it? Yeah, we thought like a decent amount of people would probably bring the Wash Energy in the Lugia deck. I think less played it overall than we thought. Yeah, I think it ended uh, up not being would. super popular. Yeah, not that many people ended up uh, rocking it um, overall, which is interesting. But, you know, I mean, Kyogre, like the, the Kyogre, the Lost Box decks in general, that actually take advantage of the snipe, try and take advantage of the snipe as much as possible, weren't super popular. So um, I guess it kind of makes sense. Uh, yeah, the average was point zero six wash energy in the day, <laughs> so, in the day two. So was it just lists. Grand Shen playing it maybe then? Maybe. Oh, wait, yeah, this so, might be. No, sorry. This includes all of this entire format. Sorry. Okay, yeah, you have to go to statistics. Not... Oh no, you have to go to was. cards. You have to go to cards. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah. was twenty three percent. Twenty three percent had the watch energy. So that's like a fourth, right? That's like not. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I was, I think I was predicting. I think I predicted thirty percent, which is still a pretty high count for us to like then include Kyogre, maybe the Pokestop over the training court, and the second recycler to really like keep the Kyogre a consistent option. Like that's quite a few cards that aren't just like straightforward consistency. Like instead of those cards, we had stuff like the boss's orders option, which is like really strong. Uh, paired with their aura up against Lugia, and then also like um, the training cord, the air balloon, which I think are super high value cards right now in the Lugia matchup because most people only run like Punkaboo in a vacuum, right? It's like they're outs to removing tools uh, and stadium cards besides attacking with Lugia. But if they're attacking with Lugia, their Lugia is in the active, which you're pretty comfortable with happening. So yeah. um, you kind of want their Lugia in the active more so than not. So um, yeah, the air balloon and like training card can be like super high value cards in the Lugia matchup right now because no one's playing Collapse Stadium anymore. Uh, and they, like I said, they do have Punkaboo, but no one wants to put Punkaboo in play against a Sableye deck. So um, those are pretty high value cards in that matchup uh, for that reason. Yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, congrats, Azul. It's got to feel good. Um, obviously, I don't think we want to sit here and talk through your whole tournament run, but yeah. maybe just give us like <laughs> one or two highlights in um day two and then talk us a talk would you, you want to talk about like what happened in your top eight top four and talk through your thoughts on what happened in the finals yeah i mean uh day two was uh pretty smooth i would say overall um 
I did lose. I forget what my loss was in day two. It was probably to a Lugia. I don't remember though. <laughs> Had to have been to a Lugia, I assume. I hit Lugia, Lugia, Lugia. Um, and then I had to have been to a league. I can't imagine I've not been to a You Lugia. played Cameron with the Vikavolt on stream, right? Uh, yeah. So I, be, I beat the two decks that weren't Lugia. I definitely beat. I beat Cameron. Uh, and then I beat Mia with Arcdura on the winning end. Uh, and it was like a pseudo winning end for them because they would get to 31 points. So they weren't. So they asked me to like ID when I sat down. I was like, no, I probably want to play this one out because I was guaranteed top eight if I win. Whereas if they, they only get to 31, they could make top eight, but not guaranteed. So um, yeah, they didn't draw very well. So I, that one was like the easiest matchup of the day. They kind of like dead drew two games in a row. So I took that one, beat Cameron on stream as well. Um, and yeah, there was three, there was the other matches with three Lugias, but I don't remember which Lugia I lost to. I think I took a loss. So if I remember correctly, <laughs> and then in uh, top eight, I played against Yurko. I think that was maybe the best I played all tournament was that match, that set. Like it was, I was not on stream, which was nice, you know, and I was just kind of, Locked. I, I played a lot more locked in and focused in day two. Day one was like, um, speaking of like venue and location a little bit, I guess like the venue was bad. <laughs> it was so small. There was no room. There was four four matches to a table. You were shoulder to shoulder to everyone. And I'm someone who like sweats really easily. Um, I definitely think I've noticed that. I think that gets to me and gets to my play a little bit because I kind of had the same problem at LAIC where it's just like I just get super uncomfortable. Really hot. Um, not ridiculously sweaty but enough that it like it definitely i feel uncomfortable i need to bring like a dry shirt with me to be honest or like a towel or something like it actually gets like it's pretty uncomfortable i think it definitely affects my play overall um and uh maybe it was one of the reasons i didn't even make top eight LAIC. like if i was i was in like a <laughs> a more cool environment and i wasn't like so uncomfortable i think it definitely affects my play so like in day two i was super focused super locked in got my caffeine and everything was like you know there was like two two matches to a table or something so you had plenty of room wasn't sweating wasn't uncomfortable um, so I played really well in day two overall. I think when I got to top eight against Yurko, um, yeah, I think it's probably the best set I played. That's the cleanest I played all tournament was against Yurko. Uh, Yurko didn't have a very good game two. Uh, in game one, I got a turn one zero aura. But like my play was yeah. just felt like super clean in that set um, for sure. Yeah, game one was crazy. I was standing there. I wasn't work, uh, like casting or doing the like um, the admin role for top eight. So I was out watching the other top eight matches play out. Uh, so I watched your turn where you popped off with the <laughs> turn one lost uh, uh, Mirage Gate into like KO with the Zero Aura. But Yurko had two Lugias in play. Why were there two Lugias in play? You know, your deck does not turn one attack. And then you could have just won right there. Then it ended up being a longer game. But you still won, yep. obviously. So it's fine. But I was like, man, he should have just won right there on the spot because your deck <laughs> never turn one Mirage Gates. But you just like, happened do to often. get it right there. Yeah, it was definitely got a little bit fortunate. Yeah, and then my uh, top four match went up against Owen uh, Cameraman, one of the, I mean, the best uh, best placing players this year. He's uh, second in Europe behind Tord, and he actually might have passed Tord now, to be honest. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, one of the best play, placing players this year for sure. Um, has been a name that I've, like, looked out for for a while, and I think this is going to be, like, um, I don't. They, I mean, they did well last season too, but I feel like this is gonna be. They're gonna be like a household name after this this season, probably for sure. Owen will be. Um, but uh, it was up against Mew, which is a pretty good matchup. And um, I didn't play. Uh, I was. I, I can remember one mistake I made in game one, uh, where I discarded my boss instead of a cram. I probably should have kept my boss. It was a little risky to not have the boss option later on, depending on like when like psychic leap loops start happening potentially. Um, neither game got to Psychic Leap Loop because I drew, I went with the more aggressive Drapion play, 
in the top four matches where, where as soon as I draw drew Drapion plus uh, Seal Stone, I was like, well, I may as well just go for it. And I feel I felt like I have like two turns to close out the game with other means. I think that's enough time to close out the game. And like specifically in game two, they were down their Roxanne and their Palpad. So I was like, okay, they can't right. Roxanne me again. So I felt pretty safe, especially in game in game two. And I felt pretty safe in game one as well because I had already set up the Greninja play on the on the Genesex. So I was like, I have two turns to draw Sableye Energy. Yeah. So um uh something else i was gonna say about that set as well but yeah i went for the earlier drapion oh yeah especially like one on in game one i played colrus and i drew drapion training court uh sky seal stone off the colrus and i was like well <laughs> i feel like it's a little bit disrespectful to my deck to not use these cards right here like they're giving it to me <laughs> uh, i literally course into three of the the three card combo i need i think i should just go for it here i had like three three comfies in play and stuff as well so i was like if i whiff for a turn i can just comfy three times and then i should be able to get on the next turn if i whiff the sable on the next turn so um yeah, that went pretty smoothly. It was up against Mew. I played one other Mew in the tournament, and it was pretty much a, a steamroll as well. Uh, the Mew match was pretty good with the Sky Seal Stone plus uh, Drapion combo. And then the finals uh, was interesting uh, for sure. I didn't play particularly well in the finals, but thankfully neither did Reagan uh, in game one specifically with the uh, when I played down two escape ropes and Reagan sent back up the damage Stoutland. Uh, Reagan was like pretty confident I had whiffed the Manaphy recovery on my on my turn because Reagan had just taken out my Manaphy. This was in game one. But if Reagan had literally sent up any other Pokemon, I think I just lose that game. Maybe if they had sent up Luminion, there was still a chance where like I can go Greninja later on for like four prize cards on the Stoutland plus a Luminion with some other like choice belt shenanigans. Like would yeah, have to but be you'd have had weird. to get the Stoutland back yeah. active, right? I'd like... have to hope that Reagan like attacked with Stoutland yeah. that turn. And then I go like Greninja plus choice belt KO, the Luminion that Cram hit plus KO the active Stoutland, and then goes Aurora boss KO the second Luminion on the bench or something, or I guess it could KO Lugia as well. Um, but I think the matchup is probably overall slightly favored because Reagan did not play uh, uh, Dunsparce. So I think overall it was probably slightly favored matchup. And then game two, uh, Reagan got the the lone chops out, which you know does happen a decent amount of times in the Lugia deck. Um, and uh, I misplayed pretty bad in that game as well. I miscounted Reagan's DTEs. And even then though, I could have gone for like a more aggressive route like multiple times in the game. Uh, I had a really good Sableye play on like two, turn two or three where I set up the, the Archaeops, the active Lugia for six and the bench Lugia for three. So that way Dragon I could KO any of the Lugias in play with the Sky Seal Zone to draw three prize cards at some point. Um, and then on the next turn, I could have either Zerora the active or Sableye the Archaeops. And I was like, well, if I don't Sableye the Archaeops this turn, um, they're just going to go ahead and push up Archaeops and attack with it. It's like the only play they could make. So I was like, well, maybe I take out the Archaeops this turn, cut off, cut off any potential for any shenanigans. Um, and then next turn I go into like a Zero Aura or potentially a Dragonite plus Seal Stone to close out the game. So I went to Sableye that turn. Could have gone with the Zero Aura play instead. I'm not sure it was 100% correct, to be honest. But then the next turn... Uh, yeah, the annoying thing about KOing the Archaeops was that it didn't help your prize trade, right? Well, if because... I get the skills, Well, it, it helped you for the Seal Stone yeah. specifically, I guess. So maybe yeah. it, it is worth going for it because that line exists. But if you don't hit that line, then you still have to take two knockouts, right? Yeah, and it was really awkward because... Uh, specifically that situation was really awkward because i didn't have guru in play so it was like really hard for me to like set up plays after that to be honest like, i think i don't think game one or two i got guru into play i think i lost owned it both times unfortunately uh, but specifically in game two it hurt a ton to not have guru in play like if i had had guru down i think that game is just a breeze um uh, but because i didn't have guru down my comfies got weirder towards the late game and then i wasn't able to set up any plays around my energy as well to make my mirage gates easier so like not having guru in play was like a pretty big deal 
Uh, but yeah, I played game two pretty poorly, like I said. I, and then like going to the second to last turn of the game, I had the attack with Zerora to knock out <laughs> one of the two Lugias in play. Um, but I thought that Reagan still had a double turbo left. Um, and then when I checked their discard pile the next turn, I realized, oh, both are in the discard pile. So if I just knock out this active Lugia, there literally isn't an attacker that exists that I can't kill on the following yeah. turn. So I yeah, should have got really lucky turn that Reagan missed an energy on that last yeah. turn. Because if Reagan had found an energy the second to last turn, because you hadn't attacked, he only had one prize left, right? So like he, he had yep. two prizes left. And then if he attaches attacks, you KO the Lugia, and then you have to just hope he doesn't have a fourth energy for his Lugia. And if he does, he wins the game instantly. So you yeah. got a little lucky there for sure. But I mean, <laughs> I think that's, you know, obviously like you played well throughout the entire weekend and it ends it up still being okay for you. But uh, it's always a little sketchy and it proves that, I mean, there's a lot going on in a player's mind up on the stage, you know, um, especially with Lost Box as well, a deck that you have so many options and so many things you can do every single turn. It's a little bit uh, a little bit more going through your mind than when you're playing something like, you know, Marnie, Path to the Peak, Flying Pikachu, right? <laughs> yeah, definitely a little <laughs> bit more to think about. And yeah, it was like a little more pressure. It's a little bit more distracting to play on the stage. And yeah, I just yeah, I definitely didn't play great in the finals, but um, I definitely going to make sure I focus up a little bit more uh next time for sure yeah because it definitely got to me a little bit but um yeah ended up getting it up in the end um so yeah it was cool to play against it's gonna be interesting like uh it's my third time playing against reagan already um this season we tied at laic i beat him at orlando and beat reagan again here so it's gonna be interesting playing against reagan going forward for sure maybe me and him are gonna have a little bit of a rivalry moving <laughs> forward but um yeah super yeah. super stoked on the win for sure yeah and congrats to reagan for sure as well on the second place finish i mean it's his first year as a master. I think everyone yep. knows he's going to be a great player. And I think that the biggest thing that, you know, seniors have lacking coming into the master's division is lack of experience. And Reagan actually has a ton of experience, right? It's just yeah. in the younger division. So he's, you know, caught up to things with the master's division. It took him a little while to get going. His start to the season was kind of okay, but he's really like popped off here the last two tournaments. So congratulations to Reagan. He definitely deserves it. So, um, yeah, definitely. And congratulations to you as well, Azul. You join a list of uh, just a handful of other people. Tord Reklev winning four ICs, Stefan and Gustavo both winning two ICs, and you now winning two ICs. And you're the only person who has won two different ICs besides Tord because Stefan won NAIC twice, Gustavo won EUIC twice. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think anyone would dispute the fact that Tord, Gustavo, and Stefan are three of the best players in the game. You join that list, so... Take with that what you will, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I will mention one thing I do have over Gustavo and Stefan is I have made the finals three times. Ah, yes, yes. I do have plus one finals on them as of no, right Stephane, now. <laughs> no, Stefan made finals at OCIC. Don't forget. Which one? The one that Isaiah won. Oh, okay, okay. I guess I tied Stefan on that one then. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> all right Gustavo's got some catching up to do there. <laughs> <laughs> Gustavo's the one that's got I mean, he won Worlds, so, you know. It was a junior, but you know, <laughs> Everyone still had his world deck printed. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's pretty nice. All, All right. right. Um, Before we get into the results, though, in general event thoughts, um, I guess just a little live editing on the fly. Your camera's kind of lagging a little bit, actually, on the OBS Ninja. So I think maybe if you just open up the window, it might be okay. But the audio is still perfectly fine. So I have it open. Oh. It looks fine right now, so we'll keep our eye on it. I don't know if there's anything we can really do about it. So if you're watching on YouTube and you notice a little skippiness in Azul's face, it looks like it's calmed down for now. But Interesting. 
But yeah, general thoughts on the event. We talked about the location. Uh, yeah, I totally agree with Azul that the venue was way too cramped. And I think that's a product of the event sold out really fast, right? And they yeah. wanted to make more spots. The sacrifice to make more spots is that there's less space in the venue. Worthy trade-off? What do you think, Azul? I mean, I always want as many people as possible, right, to, to be able to play the game. It was it was cramped. It was definitely cramped. I guess maybe we, we have a, had a little bit of a luxury at the U.S. tournaments. Um, I guess I'd be curious to know, like, what the setup is normally like at the... We've had two Australian regionals so far, a couple in Europe, a couple in Latin America. What are the setups like over there? If anyone played at those, let us know in the comment section down below. Are you guys playing shoulder-to-shoulder? Especially any of you that have, like, traveled to maybe some of the American regionals, which is a, a small number. So I don't know if anyone like that is listening to the podcast. But yeah, what are those like? Because in the US, we get they give us a, a ton of space. Like at, at post COVID, like I remember going, showing up to the first tournament post COVID, Salt Lake City. Like we had like two two games to a table, I think, uh, if I remember correctly. Like we had space. I think it's come down a little bit since then, but it's still a decent amount of space, which is nice. Of course, there's the trade off of like getting as many people as possible you know the the players who do sign up having extra space to work with so it is nice to have some space uh for sure it did feel it was just cramped. it was cramped for sure it was kind of like uncomfortably cramped um but maybe it, i mean i think it used to be that way though right like i feel like we used to have that like people literally shoulder to shoulder at every single regional so it'd be nice to have like getting into these tournaments you know tournaments not selling out instantly and also the players who you know do end up showing up having a decent amount of space and not feeling super cramped it'd be nice i don't know I don't know if that's just an American thing, though, or not. Like, or maybe we're just uh, spoiled. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's definitely tough whenever... <laughs> I mean, you're talking about, like, not being able to focus because of how cramped it is, right? Like, that's, I think, something that is not... Like, I think that there should be enough space. And also, funny enough, I mean, I don't know if we really want to get into this too much. Someone pointed out that, like, technically having that many seats that close to each other is against Pokemon's COVID protocols. <laughs> so, I don't, <laughs> I don't know what the situation necessarily is there. But... You sell those things different, man. They just do it different. <laughs> I mean, that's one of those situations where... And I've actually looked, like, if... Also, like, I, I've done VIP seating in the past at a regional, mm -hmm. uh, at Santa Clara Regional. And actually, I'm not going to lie. VIP seating is super nice. Not having to, like, leave your table and then having a decent amount more space than the, you know, the other tables is, like, super, super nice. So um, it's something I've considered, like, purchasing at some of these regionals, but it's gotten so much more expensive than it was in the past. Yeah, it's, like, like 200 bucks, isn't it? It's, like, like, $200. Like, if they just gave me just VIP seating, like, if I could pay for just VIP seating, and I don't know, maybe, like... That's it. That's all I really need. Like, yeah, if you if don't you care about getting double, like the T-shirt and stuff like that. Yeah, if they could just charge me for just VIP seating and not make it like two hundred bucks, like one hundred and fifty, I would even consider that like one hundred and fifty to be honest, because it's pretty nice to have that, especially in some of these more bigger, more cramped regionals. Like Knoxville is probably going to be like Orlando was, uh, and even like OCIC was, but there's no there's no way they had any room for VIP seating at OCIC. It was just everyone was cramped in there. Like it didn't matter the game. I think it was pretty cramped for everyone. Uh, for sure but um it's definitely something like if tos are interested in like actually selling more vip slots i don't know if they are or not i don't know if those are already maxing out or not but like for someone like me and i'm sure there's other people out there if you could if you made vip vip seating less expensive at the cost of just only making it vip seating i would be interested i'm sure there's other people who'd be interested as well yeah i mean looking at the numbers right now for knoxville we're at 1200 masters registered um I think that is it. 
on available seats. I don't think they're releasing anymore at this point. I think did they do a wave this weekend? Maybe. Um, and so some I, of the not all the regionals have. I was just mentioning as well. Not all the regionals have VIP seating, which is fine. Only some of them. I don't know which ones do, which ones don't though. Yeah, I think day two events based. normally does it, so yeah. I think they should probably have it. But yeah, regardless, um, I think that. I mean, it's definitely like a luxury thing, and there's always a few people that pay for it. But um, yeah, I can understand the the plus side of having access to it, just getting to chill for a little bit, right? Not having yeah, to worry definitely. between rounds, and <laughs> it's you, definitely you nice. generally do get a little bit more space, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I remember whenever they did like the team stages at that Memphis Regionals one year, and like yeah. your whole team got a a stage. That was kind of cool. That was pretty sick as well. That's basically the exact same thing. Yeah, that was also pretty, uh, pretty cool. Definitely was definitely was a fan when that happened for sure. Um, yeah, I guess we can move on talk a little bit more about the uh, the event. Uh, I guess the first thing we can go over is the uh, meta share for the event um, for day one and day two. So nothing super surprising, right? Lugia about thirty percent, uh, Lost Box about twenty percent. Mew did see a little bit of a spike. Uh, like my guess would have been around twelve. It was up towards sixteen percent. Uh, Reggie's five. The other five, which is just a weirdly placed, I think that was like a mistake, right? And then Arctur at 5% as well. Yeah, so looking at the graph here that I have pulled up, it does say other on here twice, technically. And this, yeah, it is it is a little bit of a like graphical mistake backstage. So pretty much the way it works, this little insight for anyone, we get the data backstage from um, Arcanine, you know, the meta share of, you know, what percentage, how many people are playing each deck. They plug it into this graph graphic they make the graphic and boom it gets populated um on the data from arcanine there's more than just six decks right but the graph only has space for six decks so um the arcanine lists like 20 decks something like that like it'll list like you know other arceus variants it'll list palkia like all these decks that are low percentage played and they always just get grouped in with other this small other that's up in the top right corner of the graph um, but there is also, like, in addition to all that stuff that's outside the top six, there is another other category, which would just be people who are playing random stuff, like Zera Aura V-Star or Deoxys V-Max. Like, just people who are showing up playing their whatever decks, you know, people who are just having a good time with whatever they've been cooked up, uh, cooking up with. Um, and that usually just goes into an other category when they really don't have anywhere to place it. Um then usually that other category is in the top six decks. So what we do generally is pull that down into the bottom part of the graph so that it gets grouped in with the other. And then we would bump up the thing that's in seventh place because, you know, other is on the list and put it in the sixth place on the graph. So that's what should have happened here, what didn't happen. Um, and that's why it's it probably would have been. And we did fix it. I think it was, I think, I think it was Gudra. Yes. I think it was Gudra and it was at like um, 4.5 or something like yeah, that. Okay. Yeah. Um, because I, I noticed this whenever it went live on the stream and I was went backstage and I was like, hey, we should fix this. And we fixed it. <laughs> and I don't know that the graphic got showed again, but they did fix it for day two, though. Uh, day two, I don't think there's generally many other decks. <laughs> it's also, another another thing they need to fix is that down that 19.8 percent using other decks text is off to the left. But they got to fix that. That's tilting me. It needs to be a little bit to the right. <laughs> Just a little bit. A yeah. Little bit. Sometimes it just happens. I don't know, man. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but day two um, was really just like, uh, it was actually interesting. Like we saw 
the top two decks kind of maintain. Well, hold up. Lugia got a big bump, right? Lugia was almost 50% of day two. Yeah. Lost Box kind of maintained. Mew fell off, which isn't a big surprise because Lost Box is so popular. And generally, Lost Box is matching up pretty well into Mew V Max, especially when people are switching over to kind of like Drapion and Sky Sealstone. Going to give you a little bit of edge in that matchup. A um, little bit of an uptick in Reggie's. Nothing really to write home about. <clears throat> And of course, we're getting down to pretty low deck counts of as well here. So it's only like four Reggies, right? It's the seven percent. Like, yeah. Vault was at five percent, but it's like three decks, right? It's like not really can't really draw too much from that. If this was like five percent at Orlando Regionals, that'd be different. But five percent in a day two this small, it's like eh, uh, you know, anything could be here. And then Puja closing it out with two decks at the at the three percent. So really, just like the the what. Rich getting richer or whatever. Lugia just <laughs> bumping up from uh, 28% to 40 Almost 50% of day two is kind of ridiculous. Yeah, it's almost similar to what we saw at LAIC, to be honest. Yeah. It was like at LAIC, it was day one, 50%, day two. Or sorry, day one, 25%, day two, it was like 50%. So, um, yeah, I mean, may that maybe is a little bit of a sign. Like, you know, we get to these international championships people take it more seriously right there's more on the line in addition to prizing there's like the um you know stipends to future tournaments and stuff and if you're someone who's trying to just lock up a thousand dollar stipend to euic lugia is probably a pretty good pick for that right like you're probably going to get top 128 lock up 130 points and that's probably going to keep you in contention for your region stipend right yeah i feel like that is like a way a lot of players, at least especially a lot of like decent players who are like competing for those seven things. But it's like, all right, if I wanted to get just points, Lugia seems like a pretty good bet, right? It's the way a lot of the uh, players who are contending for those seven and stuff do view it. It's just like <clears throat> if you're towards that, um, towards that top end, just playing Lugia, you know, getting your top, you know, sixty-four, top one twenty-eight points is like a lot of points, <laughs> especially if there's not that many players from your region there. Um, so that'll like get you there, and then Lugia is like pretty safe bet for that most of the time, just to kind of get points. So. Uh, kind of makes sense, I guess, overall. Um, yeah, besides that, nothing too shocking, right? Like, overall, in the in the meta share. I mean, no, I guess the Arc Dura going from Arc Dura kind of not showing up at all in day two. I guess there was only yeah. one Arc Dura in day two. I guess there could have still been two. There was um, one, it was just one. Okay, yeah, the one I played against on the winning end, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And some of the data as well is a little, uh, I guess it's all right on Limitless now because it's all been released correctly, but like on Pokestats before between day one and day two, some of the stuff was not right like they had someone in day two playing flaffy box there was no one in day two playing flaffy box like <laughs> i think that guy was playing lost box that they put playing flaffy box so so stuff just you know gets a little lost in translation sometimes but it should all be yeah. now on limitless because it's all data based on um the arcanine stuff that got released so yeah 60 players in day two smaller day two from what we've seen but i mean it's what we expected right it's a smaller ic um but I don't know. I mean, I guess I'd be curious on your thoughts on this as well. I was saying all weekend that I actually think LAIC is the hardest of the internationals. Um, even though it is smaller, there's one less round. The concentration of the top level is much greater, it feels like to me. Um, because obviously you've got the Australian players. There's, you know, a handful of really good Australian players. And then the local Australian player base is on par with the local player base in most other regions, right? Um, and then but you look at like the people who are traveling from their other regions to these internationals, like the top 22 or top 16 from Europe, top eight from uh, OCIC, top 16 from OCIC, whatever, like, and top 16 from America, all these people travel to LAIC, right? 
And then of course you have the LAIC players, but there's way more LAIC players. So it's like a way bigger pool of like the average player, but at OCIC, you still have all those same players, the top level players traveling from all the regions, but there's just a smaller player base. So you get a more concentrated feel of like the top level. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? And also OCIC as well. We get the Japanese players, which don't really show up at any of the other. Yeah. Yeah. Almost like none. Sometimes I think a couple of them come to NAIC, but and sometimes, um, yeah, th- sometimes EUIC, like Reiji Nishiguchi got top 16, yeah. I think, at EUIC this last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's, I don't know, they're all just hard for different reasons, I think. Like, OCIC is hard because I feel like there's not, the, especially at this one, because there were so many Japanese players. It's the most Japanese players, I think, that have ever been to an IC ever. Uh, yeah, like Shintaro, Daichi, um, Ryota, I don't know how to pronounce that. Ryota was there as well, you know, first and second from Worlds, and then Shintaro, one of the, the best performing Worlds players of all time, were at this tournament, so... Um, like I think they're just harder in different ways. I think I would actually maybe rank them as like, like if I had to like rank them, it would be like the hardest ones are probably uh, NAIC based on the the massive player, the massive number of players, and the second one would probably be OCIC based on the OCIC or EUIC based on how much talent is going to be there versus how many players are going to be there. I think I put LAIC maybe as the last one, but they're all really close, right? I think I'd maybe put NAIC and OCIC as the top, the two harder ones to win because it's just massive player, but massive amount of players for NAIC. And it seems like this year, uh, and we'll get to talk about it a little bit later, based on what the venue looks like, we're going to have, we might be able to break that 2K players um, for Masters TCG. And OCIC, I feel like just because, like, we just look at this one, this one specifically, the past OCICs, maybe you can make a different argument, but I don't know if there's like a reason to argue about any of them overall, but um, yeah, the, the, the talent concentration at OCIC this year, because of how many Japanese players were there, I think it was, yeah, that makes it like, even though it was a smaller tournament, you know, every single round you're going up, potentially up against, you know, like a tier one player. So, yeah. Whereas like OCIC, UIC, and I feel like LAIC kind of fall a little bit outside of their bigger tournaments, but the talent concentration isn't quite as high as OCIC. Yeah. It's close. Yeah. And then, I mean, we see with the top eight, I mean, all eight players in top eight are, you know, known named players, people who've done well at, you know, this size tournament before Reagan is kind of the one outlier there, but you know, it's just because he's a first year master, right? This is yeah. his first IC top eight as a master. But if you look at his junior and seniors accomplishments, he's one ICs. So yeah. And of course works with, you know, Bradner and crew. So it's kind of expected like Reagan getting up yes. and just top eight at Orlando. Like it's not a surprise that Reagan is exactly. top eight in major tournaments and plans to top eight major tournaments. Yeah. Everyone outside of that, is a name that basically everyone or most people know. I'd say like maybe the least known name in the top eight is actually probably Grant Shen. Um, but I feel like everyone knows Reagan because Reagan associates, you know, with the the whole uh, Bradner crew. Um, but yeah, I'd say Grant Shen. But Grant Shen's a great player. Just got top eight at San Diego Regionals not that long ago. Um, and definitely one of the better overall, like definitely a tier one player coming from North America. So uh, yeah, pretty much all the top eight was, was pretty well known. And then even you dip down to ninth, um and you just have sam chen missing right missing out just barely at ninth place so and everyone knows who sam is so or most people do i guess maybe sam is a a little bit more of an old school name these days but yeah most (laughs) people know who sam chen is so yeah um pretty pretty notable uh top eight for sure yeah for sure yeah definitely a, a really good group of players and speaking of let's look at the top eight decks as well Um, And we can talk about, I guess, what some of our predictions were. So going into the event, we predicted Lugia, the over-under. We put it at 3.5, which I think was a pretty good place to put it. We both took the under, though, and the answer was over. There were four 
Lugia, Archaeops in top eight, but only makes one sense. made it all the way to top four, and of course Reagan making it to the finals eventually. Yeah, which makes sense. Fifty percent of the room was <laughs> Lugia. Fifty percent of day two was Lugia. It tracks. Of top eight yeah, was Lugia. <laughs> yeah. So we're. I think we're both. We're, I was sitting around like I think it would probably be three. So it was four this time. Um, but yeah, like I said, even then, like you know, Grant Shen and Sam were both at thirty-one points. <clears throat> I think Aiden uh and david maybe also at 31 points i don't know how far down the 31 points went but that that last lugia grant shen getting as the last lugia into top eight was was on the edge of not because so we almost got our prediction right on that one yeah i think pedro was also at 31 points it was a pretty good sized bubble to be honest yeah. um so yeah i mean like i mean if we look at the top 16 you're adding in you know what one two three four more lugias into the top 16 so eight out of 16 50 yeah. <laughs> percent still 50 percent right? it's holding on yeah, it's holding on now i kind of want to count 32 to be honest how, how far does this 50 percent go <laughs> if you go all the way down to 60 it'll be 28 so or 29 whatever <laughs> uh, our other prediction our next prediction that we had was would sander make top eight and i actually played against sander in round five and uh, I did end up beating Sander. And my prediction was, yes, I thought Sander would make top eight. Had a ridiculously interesting deck. Um, there was, it was, it was like a raw or curly a draw engine. It was like, a, it was almost like a Pidgey lock deck where you like got wheezing into the active. And then, yeah, the deck was kind of insane. You got like wheezing into the active at some point and then with cross switchers and you rock sand them and then you played the ore beetle that was effect that's effectively chip chip ice axe but it's actually better well i guess it could be better it could be worse but you get to order the top three cards as opposed to maybe it is worse because chip chip ice axe lets you pick one and shuffle the rest is, yeah um so I guess it depends on the situation. I guess Chip Chip was probably better. I mean, it's honest. obviously worse because it's like a stage two versus an item card. Yeah, also but, that. <laughs> but I know I, I know what you mean, though, like as far as just like what the actual effect of it does. Yeah, the I actual effect. It, it is better for Chip Chip that like you get to randomize the other cards so that. Yeah. Because like if you bugs radar and you see two good cards and you're like, OK, I got to leave one in this third one. And I hope that that third card every single time for the rest of the game is a bad card that I want to. Yeah, that's you true. Know? So I think yeah. that makes it a little bit worse. But yeah, definitely it was a really interesting one. Um, yes, we had the prediction of would Sander make top eight. Azul said yes. Chip said no. I I didn't like saying no. I even said like I was only <laughs> saying no because of... You wanted to um, pick a different answer. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't want us to be like overlapping or whatever. But yeah, I mean... This this one was definitely interesting. And he even said in his tweet that he <laughs> he like tweeted about it and was like, yeah, I kind of played something wacky for this one. Um, he was one of the first whenever we got access to deck lists. His was one of the first deck lists that I looked at. And I immediately messaged our production team. And I was like, hey, we need to get the assets for or beetle from Sword and Shield. They said <laughs> <laughs> so we can have it to put up on the screen. Uh, but um yeah, it ended up not working out the best for him, but definitely, you know, he loved to see that he's willing to innovate and try something different, right? And he yeah. also had the Radiant Jirachi in there, which is kind of poggers. Oh, yeah, and that's right. Yeah, it was just all, there was a whole lot going on. Definitely interesting <laughs> deck. <clears throat> yeah, I don't think it was quite up to par as to uh, as powerful as some of Sander's other decks, but it was so cool to see Sander keep innovating, bringing some new stuff for sure. Um, our next prediction that we had was non-Lugia deck to win. Chip picked Vikavolt, Vikavolt. I picked Arcdura. Uh, I think Chip was a little bit closer I, I mean, this one. listen, Vikavolt won in seniors. So, I mean... <laughs> if seniors' accomplishments count, Chip, you would have you would have got one. Are but... you saying seniors' <laughs> accomplishments don't count, Azul? No, are you do, saying that do these count. kids' accomplishments are meaningless? 
No, Didn't your count. student win in juniors? Yes, but um, seniors and juniors, they're just building blocks to getting better to get once you get to masters. That's what it is. You're just okay, sure. you're preparing for the real deal. That's <laughs> the that's what you're doing. You're preparing for the real deal. Um, I mean, get your wins while you can while you're down there for sure. Um, but yeah, preparing for the real deal, which is the the masters division. Um, uh, but yeah, neither of us walking away with a correct prediction there. Although I think you were closer for sure. Well. Uh, I guess theoretically, yeah. If, I mean, if I had lost to Cameron, I think Cameron's in a pretty good spot to actually make top and eight. And you so. also beat me on the winning end. So if you'd lost to Mia, Mia's right yeah. in there, right? Well, Arctur, yeah. Mia would have been at 31 points, so on the bubble. Yeah. Um, and I have no idea what Mia's resistance was like, so it's possible. Um, and then we both predicted uh, Sky Sealstone to be the highest placing Crown Zenith card, and I did win with Sky Sealstone. Uh, and Pedro was up there with the Zamazenta as well, though. So the Zamazenta was there. No Radiant Eternatus to be seen yet. I would have thought, where what? How many tournaments deep into Crown Zenith? Two, three? Two. Um, I would have thought that we would have seen uh, a Radiant Etern deck in day two by now. It's just not good right now, bad? man. It's just it's not good. <laughs> really, really strong card. The time just isn't right. I think post-rotation... Have a moment. Oh, have a moment. Yeah, yeah. Maybe oh, not hopefully. immediately as well. Like, I don't know. It's just Jeez. one of those cards. Like, the effect is so good. Um, it is so. Whenever you use it, you just feel like you just did so much for nothing, which is good. But yeah, right. It is a. Uh, it is rough. And maybe it is in part due to how strong the other, um, strong the other is. radiant radiant Pokemon are in the format, oh, right? True. Like you, you have to because you can only play one radiant Pokemon, right? So it's like and I play. You have to be willing to give up Greninja. You have to be willing to give up Charizard. Um, and it, like those two cards are so powerful on their own. Like that feels like those are the two that most decks are playing. And then it's like, okay, maybe sometimes we're looking at Radiant Jirachi even these days. But um, yeah, you have to be willing. Like I think the decks that would utilize Radiant E-Turn usually are going to be like the Lost Box decks. And the Lost Box decks really like having Greninja for that boost of consistency. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, it would be actually cool. Mew's never ran a Radiant Pokemon, right? I mean, there's never been a reason to. Mew Radiant E-Turn. No, I was like Mew Radiant. I was like, put a Radiant Char. See, we're putting a Radiant Charizard in Mew. Doesn't seem ridiculous, bro. Like, we're you're put, putting <laughs> fire energy in your Mew deck. One, Are you serious? One basic fire, one Radiant Charizard. Trolling us. We have to help your pro. You probably want to play it in like Fusion Mew. So you could go like Meloetta Mew V Max. No, it's just that I guess it never lines up really well. Yeah, never mind. You're, you've cooked um, too much. <laughs> and then uh, the last uh, prediction we had was what region would win the tournament. I picked Japan um and japan had a really good showing i feel like there was none in top eight but i don't know how many players from japan showed up i think it was at least like 16 uh, is what i heard someone say uh but they had quite a few in day two quite a few in like the top 32 even the higher uh half of day two chip picked australia and uh no, i'm not trying to throw a little any shade out here but australia what was going on zero australians in top eight um and only one in the top 16 like uh yep they were uh, they were sleeping on the they were sleeping this IC for sure. Yeah, we have we four total in the top thirty two there, and then you know thirty third and thirty fourth were both at Australian players as well. So like, I mean, they were still hanging some around. Some of them had to be Australian. Yeah, there's uh, yeah, it definitely was not the strongest showing from the Australian group. And I think like one of the more surprising things is like the Australian players that you expect to see in day yeah. two: Henry Brand, uh, Natalie Miller um brent brent tonneson right like none of these players uh made day two right the probably yeah. the like most well-known australian in day two was probably christian right made it in with the vikavolt yeah. um matthew Burris I mean, you, had, you well. had jack jack underwood yeah that's, jack like, underwood, that's the name yeah. i think and yeah, they yeah. made top eight at the last uh australian 
um, uh, tournament as well with the. I think they did. I might be trolling on that actually. To be honest, they got ninth <laughs> at Melbourne with the Frostmoth deck. <laughs> and ninth at Melbourne with the Frostmoth deck. Okay, okay. That was back in June though, so that's been a minute. Okay, yeah, that has been. I thought they made top eight at Brisbane. I guess I am trolling. Yeah, I must just be trolling. Um, yeah, I mean, I, it looks like Kaiwin retires, and all of a sudden, all of Australia just like, jeez, uh, <laughs> they just all. Whoa. I <laughs> just jokes, just jokes. <laughs> Very good players in Australia, of course. No, I mean, it's listen, just it's like part of tournaments, though. It happens, right? Like sometimes yeah. you just miss day two. But I mean, I think it's also partially like maybe the deck decision to play Lugia, right? Do you think that has an impact? Like I Henry, mean, Natalie, Brent all play Lugia, like. I'm very surprised none of them, of course, like those are like the three most notable names I would say for sure from uh, Australia. I'm very surprised none of them made day two. My prediction would have been all of them in day two. Right. Um, Lugia might be an impact on that, but I guess what I've said with Lugia so far is if you're a 0.01% player, which they all are, um, you know, then I think Lugia is like a reasonable play. But that's like the only people I think Lugia is like a reasonable play for. Um but uh, I mean, I, yeah. But like at, any, at the end of the day, right, with that as well, right? Like, it's just you're just another Lugia deck, you know, going up against a bunch of players who, you know, even if you're the better player, everyone's most practiced against Lugia. You're choosing to play Lugia, um, so your advantage as being a better player definitely diminishes um, the more you continue to play like the top deck as a format continues, right? Because everyone's going to be more and more versed in the mirror match or with their deck up against Lugia. Or you're gonna have to play against people coming up with like those little cute new ways to try and beat Lugia with their deck because Lugia is the most popular deck, the most played against deck, and it, the deck you know that still has the biggest target on its back for sure. So I think there is there is diminishing returns um, from playing Lugia uh, for pretty much everyone. I kind of like my yeah my <clears throat> mindset around that. I don't think it has changed too much. It just kind of still doesn't make sense to me to play Lugia overall. But uh, yeah, it's definitely a surprise. None of them in day two specifically with those names. We got Australia in, in general uh struggling in day two uh as well but i'm sure they'll bounce back uh they always do <clears throat> so the next thing we wanted to talk about in regards to the happenings at ocic was there it was kind of a little bit of a point of discussion after the weekend was all said and done and really just during the weekend as well was um there was multiple times where there were multi-prize penalties given on stream um and sometimes i think it's like valid right like for yeah. example you had an instance in your streamed game on day one where you attached a second energy for turn and it didn't get caught until like an action went by yeah uh, we noticed it backstage right away i was on the admin desk i noticed it right away immediately sent a message to the judge but you were just cruising and um had already looked at your flower selecting and put a card into the lost zone so hey, you guys need judge, like a you guys need like a button in the back, like a red button. When you press it, like a light goes off, like a siren goes off on the main stage and a red light's blaring. Stop play, stop play. <laughs> stop play. No, yeah, maybe, I mean, yeah you guys having a button in the back wouldn't be bad to me. I like that like lights up a red light on the stage, like signaling to stop play. Actually, that's like a pretty good idea. I just remember. I feel like that was a thing. I remember. Yeah, well, I remember a grassroots stream I was watching one time forever ago. I don't. This was have been in back in like 2016 or something like that, where the casters, they did something like that. And I think we did that at the critical hit streams for a while. Where yeah, we had I like a so. button that we would push. Uh, it's never been done on an official stream before, but <laughs> I remember watching a stream where the casters had a button they could push that would light up and the judge would like stop play. And I just remember a gameplay error happening and the casters going like, wait, I think that that's wrong. Wait, oh, should we push the button? I don't know. Should we, I don't know. Should we push it? Can we push it? 
Is it time to push the button? Should we push the button? I don't know. Should we push the button? <laughs> they talked about maybe push pushing the button. the button for like two minutes and didn't push the button. Game player does not get stopped, does not get caught. Things kept going on. I don't know. That's just funny. I yeah, think I got the. Obviously, if we had access, like I wouldn't have a problem pushing the button if I thought something happened. But, um, but yeah, Azul accidentally attached a second energy. I mean, Azul, say your piece now. I mean, everyone yeah, knows I mean, you're think... a filthy cheater, right? <laughs> like... <laughs> yeah, back and like the the ruling was uh, justified. Like, I didn't even like argue it at all. I was like, all right, okay, how do we, you know, fix it from here? Thankfully, it wasn't like a broken board state where it couldn't be fixed, and it was a game loss. It was just a prize penalty, and I actually won that game as well. Um, because my opponent had a pretty bad setup with Lugia, like one Archeops, and then they're only efficient. Like the thing that happens in that matchup is like if you only set up one Archeops, <clears throat> your most efficient attacker for the rest of the game becomes Charizard. Uh, this actually happened against Reagan as well, where in this game, my opponent opened the Charizard and I like KO'd it with Greninja pretty fast. Against Reagan, Reagan discarded Charizard in the game where they only opened the where they only able to get one Archeops. So when you lose the Charizard and you're only able to get one Archeops, as soon as you eliminate the Archeops and then the next attacker, they can't ever set up another attacker again, which I was able to do in this game, despite being despite having the prize penalty against me. I was able to get the dub. Um, but yeah, I, I attached early on at the beginning of my turn. Went through quite a few actions. Of course, no excuse. Like I, I even tweeted out after the tournament that even though I played poorly in the finals, the, the biggest thing I was disappointed in myself was the amount of gameplay errors I made on uh, on stream. So that's like my number one focus going forward, just to hopefully prevent that happening anymore for myself in the future. But um yeah, I attached second energy. The judge was like, oh, you attached second energy. You've made an action. I was like, yep, give me the two press penalty. It's fine. Like, I knew it was coming. I wasn't going to argue. It. I wasn't going to, you know, appeal to the head judge. Like, I, I made a mistake. You know, take my penalty and kind of uh, move on. And, yeah, that was kind of the outcome of that one. One uh, prize penalty that happened in another game of my, but wasn't on me, was when I, when I, when I, when I went up against Cameron Shinoy on round uh, 13, I believe, round before the winning in. <clears throat> and they were playing the Vika Vault deck. Uh, and they were forced, like I was forced actually in this game, in this game as well, where I got my prize penalty up against a Lugia player. I was forced to play left-handed, which uh, apparently they, they weren't forcing everyone to do. And I made sure when I got on stage for top four, I was like, I'm not going to play left-handed. And uh, uh, Chris uh, Shemansky, who was the judge for that one, was like, yep, you're fine. Don't worry about it. You don't have to play left-handed. <laughs> uh, and they weren't forcing, forcing everyone to play left-handed either. But when Shinoi got on, like when they forced me to play, they told me I had to play left-handed when I got on stage for that round. And then when I got on round, uh in day two up against shinoi they told shinoi that he also had to play left-handed um and what happened to him was when he went to draw his first prize card for the game in game one instead of drawing a prize card he drew a card from his deck because his prize cards are normally where his deck would be so he just went to draw a card uh and uh i actually argued against him getting a prize penalty there i don't think he should have uh because he was put in a scenario where you know just based on habit he's gonna go to draw a card from that side of the table uh, it's very evident that it was a habit-based mistake and he wasn't trying to cheat or anything um but despite you know me saying i don't think he should get a penalty Shinoi arguing you know you're making me play left-handed uh whatever um it feels unreasonable to get a penalty uh they still gave him a penalty anyway which i still think is unreasonable like looking back on it um and i think there are uh but yeah, yeah, looking back on it, I still think it's like unreasonable that he got a prize penalty. And then in game two, he did the same thing again, unfortunately, where he went to go draw a prize card. And it was funny because like he drew a, a prize card correctly in game two initially. Uh, yeah. And then when he went to go get his next prize card, he drew it out of order. I think game two, I was going to beat him no matter what. Game one was definitely a little bit more up in the air, but I was still in a pretty good spot even with the prize penalty. But uh, yeah, that felt wrong for this. I think like based on the situation, it did not feel like a correct ruling, in my opinion.
Yeah, I think there was some sort of miscommunication along the way somewhere. Players should not be forced to play left-handed. Um, or right-handed if, they, if they're left-handed. Yeah, yeah. They should be able to play on whichever orientation they prefer. The reason that, it, for anyone who's unaware of, like, kind of how the stream game table is set up is, you know, we have the prize cam where there's, like, a whole camera under the table that uh, through a window can capture the player's prizes. Um, and just with the way the table set up, both of those are on the same side of the table. So if you're sitting on the right side of the table, it's on your right hand side. And if you're sitting on the left side of the table, it's on your left hand side. So uh, traditionally, you know, if you're a right handed player, you normally put your prize on the left hand side. And usually on a Pokemon board, you're supposed to keep your prizes and your deck and your discard pile on opposite sides of the table. Like I'm pretty sure that is written in the rule book, but yeah, usually for the stream, they kind of like allow you to still keep your deck and discard pile on the same side. And I think maybe the issue could have come in somewhere where like, um, I don't know if it felt like this to you, but uh, I feel like this stream table was like a little bit smaller than the stream tables we have for the NA regionals. They're different. Um, They're definitely different stream tables. One of the stream tables, I don't know if it's for EUIC or NA, I think it's NAIC, is built for both people to play right-handed. Not like the prize card cameras on the opposite yeah. side, but where you put your deck, like the marker to put your deck, is as if you were playing right-handed on both sides. Yeah, I mean, so the marker the to put the deck different, is just like sure. tape that they put on yeah. like the morning of, so uh, that can like always be adjusted. But pretty whatever, much, yeah. pretty much is just a miscommunication. Players should not have been forced to play left-handed if they were right-handed um from my understanding at least um well, yeah but like, i was allowed to play right-handed uh well have my deck right-handed in top four and uh specifically players who i know were as well as sam chen and natalie um which were both games before mine and Shinoi's, i think or sam was maybe after no i think it was before mine and Shinoi's. they were both sam, allowed sam to play was after you okay they were both applied to allowed to play with their deck on uh right-handed as well so like it was just depending on the judge who was at the table or what they were being told by production so i don't know if there was different production people but that doesn't make any sense to me either um but sometimes they were allowed sometimes they weren't which is weird um but i think if i had appealed in my game or shino had appealed in uh that game as well i think we in those both our situations we would have been able to play right-handed if we had appealed to the head judge which is i guess is what we should have done to be honest there so ever get on stream and they're forcing you to play left-handed definitely appeal to the head judge i guess is like kind of one of the things to take away from this for sure because there's definitely some miscommunication that happened at this tournament definitely that had us some people being allowed to initially and some people not yeah so i mean that was a penalty where it felt a little uh silly that a player was getting a penalty in that spot and then there was another similar situation when it came to the stream where in top four rahul got a two prize penalty because reagan mulligans and rahul uh if you don't know how the sequencing is supposed to work you draw your seven card opening hand you wait to see if you have a basic you see if your opponent has a basic right you put your basic down before you see your opponent's mulligan they show you they don't have a basic and then you are supposed to set out your prize cards and then you draw your mulligan um what happened in this game is Rahul sees Reagan doesn't have a basic, whatever. He sets out his Pokemon, sees Reagan's mulligan. Reagan shuffles, finds a Pokemon, and they're waiting to play, waiting for the stream to get caught up, waiting for, you know, the casters to do the intro to the round and all that stuff. And then Ray Rahul's like, oh, yeah, I have a mulligan, and goes to draw his mulligan, but he hasn't set out his prize cards yet because they wait. They don't let the player set out their prize cards until the stream is, like, ready so that we can do the whole little prize cam thing and stuff like that. Um, so... And then that gives Rahul a two prize card penalty. Um, yep. To me, 
it's still, uh, you know, Rahul sets out six prize cards and one card from his deck becomes a mulligan, right? And they should theoretically be a random 53 cards because he's got seven cards in his hand. He's 53 cards left in his deck. They should be completely random. So it shouldn't matter as long as his deck is randomized, which it is. It shouldn't matter which one he draws and which six go out. But the way the rules yeah. are written, he is meant to set out his six prize cards and then take a mulligan. Um, he did not do that was given a two prize penalty for it, which swings the matchup massively, I would say. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, swings any matchup a lot. Yeah, of course, say. of course. And so like, and especially when you can, so like there's two things to think about here. You consider the stakes on both sides of the coin, right? The high stakes, you hate for a game to be decided on something like that. But also with the high stakes, the uh, rules have to be upheld to the highest level, it feels like at the same time, right? So um, I can understand both reasons. I, as far as I understand, Rahul appealed to the head judge. The ruling was left as it was because it's just the rules. It's the highest stakes, right? It is what it is. It's really unfortunate for Rahul. Um, but uh, this whole discussion came up online afterwards. I'll pull up this tweet where people were saying, like, I think there should be a precedent for penalty de-escalation due to reasonable suspicion of stream influence. It's blatantly obvious that Rahul drawing his mulligan first was an accident caused by being forced to wait longer to put out prize cards for the stream. And I think that's totally what happened to Rahul yeah. here, right? And, and I I'll think uh, this would be very reasonable for it, for this to be something in the rules or something like that. Yeah, and to talk to that, that because I've been on stream a lot, I've almost drawn my mulligan before my prize cards multiple times on stream. I've caught myself or been caught by my opponent or the judge. And I've also caught my opponent almost drawing on stream, almost drawing their mulligan before their prize cards. Because once again, it's the same thing as like uh, Shinoi's uh, prize card panel. It's just habit, right? Shinoi didn't want to draw a card from their deck. They want to draw a prize card, but my, their prize cards are usually on their left-hand side. So that's where they would go to get their prize card from. But the prize cards are on the right, so they went to draw from the deck instead. With Rahul, it's like, yeah, usually you have a basic, you set out your prize cards, you go to get your mulligans. So that kind of step pause that they do on stream every time where they let, they make you set up and then not lay out your... Which I don't understand why they stop us from laying out our prize cards, to be honest. I don't understand. Like, you don't need to see us lay them out uh, through the prize cams. Like, they should just let us lay out our prize cards and then you just switch over to the prize cam and look at them. You don't need to see me put out my prize cards one by one this is a, this is definitely a situation like I've like I said I've almost drawn my mulligan before laying out my prize cards. I've had opponents on stream. I've been stopped. I've caught myself. I've stopped my opponent um, through all the times that I've been on stream on the official streams uh, so far. Like it's happened. It's come up multiple times, um, and it seems and it happened to Rahulia. Once again, this doesn't seem like a situation. And in my head, we talked this, about this a little bit before we started recording. Was like, yeah, it does seem like if the deck is truly random, where if Rahul draws the first card as the mulligan. Or the seventh card is the mulligan, even though you would take six cards out of the deck and those decks could no longer be the mulligan card drawn. If the deck is truly random, it shouldn't matter, right? There's so still if, six if someone, random cards, yeah. Yeah, if someone in the if someone in the comment section or someone who's like wants to leave a comment on if we're wrong on that for whatever reason and explain that, because to me it seems like if the next seven cards are random, it doesn't matter which one goes to Rahul's hand and which six go to the prize cards. Uh, it seems like it shouldn't matter. Obviously. There could be a situation where, like, if Rahul knew what the next card was, Rahul would want that card to be uh, drawn as a card to the hand and set it to the prize cards. But if, like, if Rahul is deck checked and they don't think Rahul is cheating, then it should be like a warning. And then if it happens again, that's when it should be escalated to a prize penalty, I feel like for sure. Because this is, once again, it's just a habit thing. Rahul drew the cards for hand for turn, laid out the active Pokemon, um, and then 
you know, there was that there's that pause in time where they tell wait to tell you to lay out your prize cards. Uh, and then who's like, oh, I need to draw my mulligan. Let me go draw my mulligan, forgetting that they hadn't put out their prize cards yet and that they shouldn't draw the mulligan until after the prize cards have been laid out. So it's literally just a habit thing. And it doesn't feel it definitely feels like this should not have been a prize penalty as well. And I think something that just has to stop is they have to stop forcing players who are on stream to wait to lay out their prize cards. Like no one cares if you see the, pri the cards that are prized or if you see the players laying out the cards that are prized. Like no one cares. Viewer, it does it not going to enhance the viewer experience. All it does is create issues for potential gameplay errors like this. Gameplay errors like this one that Rahul had that are just super unjust to have a two prize penalty uh, for. Unless there was like a lot of warnings or other things that had built up to this, I could see it being like, okay, maybe they should at some point escalate something like this to. A, uh, a double prize penalty. But as far as I, I, I don't know if Rahul had any priors, warnings or stuff leading up to that throughout sure. the tournament. So I really, yeah, not a fan of how this went. And they do need to really change that thing about the on-stream thing. But they have to stop forcing players to not lay out their prize cards. It just does not matter. Why, why are they forcing players to wait to lay out their prize cards until they're told to? It should just be set up fully. Just lay out your prize cards. They can just switch over to the prize cam and just see both players' prize cards whenever. You don't need to see me lay out my prize cards on stream um, for me to potentially have a gameplay error like Rahul had. So definitely should stop doing that. That's ridiculous. Um, and I've kind of always felt that way because it's like I said, it's come up to me before. I've almost drawn my mulligan ahead of my prize cards. I've seen my opponent almost draw their prize. They're up their mulligan over their prize cards. So like they really need to cut that out on the uh, production side of things for the stream. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll see. Maybe that's something that can be addressed moving forward. It's not something I've like really thought about much before because I've never been in that situation. I've never really seen like I've seen it come up once or twice, but I don't think I've ever seen it necessarily result in a penalty. Maybe yep. it's like, I don't know. I don't know. Um, maybe it's always been a situation of someone getting caught before it happens. And this is the first time I've at least noticed it like actually happened to someone. But yeah, we'll see. Uh, but what do you um, think about like uh, Jake Earhart's comment then actually like on the. Like there definitely is people. Play, oh, yeah, yeah. No, I think uh, it's totally fair. And especially like I think that nuance has to come into play as well, where it's like, OK, the deck is random. Six random cards go to the prizes. One random card goes to the hand. Right. Like assuming that is the correct way to think about it, which I don't see why it wouldn't be. Um, I've heard people give the argument of, no, those top six cards have to be Rahul's prize cards because what if there's a marked card and now Rahul knows something or, or like is trying to like reveal a card because he doesn't want it to be in his prize cards. And I say that he's in top four, that his deck has been checked multiple times at this point. There should not be any marked cards. And I don't think that you should operate on the assumption that marked cards are existing in someone's deck and that is why this super niche instance like thing should be applied like that um yeah but no i think that it's totally fair for um de-escalation to occur in regards to um match yeah yeah it, because like it is tough to get up there on the stage and play and um there's a lot like the adjusting to the white, especially if you've never done it before. Like it doesn't phase you as much because you've done it a dozen times, but people who like it's their first time getting up there. Um, it's jarring. The lights are bright, the white noise, you're hearing your opponent amplified in your ears talking to you as well. <laughs> like, yeah, it's totally different. And you know, if they want that to be an experience people sh players strive for, right? So get on right. stage and play right. on stream. You don't want to be something people dread to go do because of the amount of um prize penalties and stuff that you see consistently happen on stream and stuff like that and look at have it come off as kind of like uh presumably a bad experience so you definitely want it to be a uh a good experience for for players 
Yep. And then, um, I mean, and there was also like, it felt like a little inconsistency in this event with some of these rulings as well, because you didn't get a prize penalty for something that happened to you in top four, which I think you should have. Um, obviously I don't think I know you, I don't think you were doing anything malicious, but, um, and it would be a silly time for this to be the thing you were maliciously trying to do. Right. Uh, we're pretty much in top four against, um, Owen, you know, Owen playing Mew VMAX, Ozul attacked with his Drapion, and Drapion's attack requires you to, after you attack with it, place six damage counters on one of your Pokemon. And Azul forgot to do that, and he took his prize card. Now, theoretically, the prize card Azul took has given him information. This could affect where he wants to put his 60 damage, and his opponent has already done multiple actions during his turn. It could also affect where Azul wants to put the damage. So theoretically, even though in this exact instance, I think your damage is always going on a Rangaroo, and it seems like you and Owen at the table both agreed the damage was always going on a Rangaroo, which is maybe partially why the penalty wasn't escalated any further. But um, it's just kind of silly that that happened. All these actions happened. You see an extra card. You now get to place your 60 damage where you want it to go. Um, and then Rahul you know, made just one tiny little mistake when his deck is still randomized that results in a two prize penalty and you got no penalty for it. I think that is fair for like to look at it, especially um, yeah. Like in, in my game against Owen, uh, we agreed that, or he agreed that it wouldn't have changed any of his plays and um, agreed that I also, my damage is always going on my Orangaroo. Um, so that like, apparently was enough to, not have a prize penalty if owen had pushed harder for it i think i maybe would have gotten a prize penalty um and push harder for me to have a prize penalty or whatever and saying you know it could have changed my plays for this reason and that reason and so on um, i don't think it ever does um so i appreciate owen's honesty in that situation for sure um because i don't think me putting my six damage on uh guru or guru is ever going to like change like or where or not guru or not being on guru ever changes um you know, Owens plays one way or the other, right? It's always looking for path plus uh, or Lost City plus Roxanne that turn, right? So, um, so I appreciate Owens' honesty for sure. Um, but yeah, I can definitely see that. Like on, like looking at it, I yeah, it, there should be definitely. I agree, there should be consistency for sure. Um, and I would like it to go the route of Rahul probably should have got a prize penalty right. as opposed to me getting a prize penalty, even though it was it was to my benefit to not get a prize penalty there. I think it's just like the way it should go in those situations. Like if me and Owen can agree that it doesn't change anything about the board state, or I guess Owen specifically agrees with me that it doesn't change anything about the board state, um, then there should be no prize penalty there, right? If both players can agree, just like how I kind of was like with Shinoi's thing, I was arguing that Shinoi shouldn't get a penalty there because of the you know taking him out of his comfort zone taking out of his like natural habit of where his prize cards are and his deck are like shinoi shouldn't get a prize card penalty and rahul shouldn't have got a prize penalty either um because once again taken out of your it's just uh, for and i think rahul's was probably the worst actually looking back on it to yeah. be honest because you're taken out of your natural habit uh with how you play the game and then also uh it shouldn't matter uh, which I didn't really think about until we talked about it before the cast. You're like, well, it's just all truly random, right? Like the top seven cards are random. So once into the hand, six are into the prize cards, right? So I think Rahul's is actually the worst. Uh, it's the worst. The worst is that Rahul got the prize penalty more so than anything, I think, looking back on it. Um, but yeah, yeah, I can definitely see, like it, it definitely seems like for sure that I should have got a, a, a prize penalty there. And I think that's reasonable. Yeah, well, and maybe some of this stuff will be changed before our next uh, couple of ICs, EUIC and NAIC coming up. And uh, speaking of NAIC, I like that little transition there, you know. <laughs> speaking of NAIC. <laughs> the biggest NAIC, thing is consistency for sure. Yeah. Speaking of NAIC, um, 
Pokemon has updated the tournament's information page for both the regional and international championships, confirming the dates of the North American International Championships, which will be the last weekend of June, first weekend of July. So it's like June 30th to July the 3rd or something like that, um, which is, I think, a little bit later than when it was originally posted on the site. Um, but it looks like there's been like some adjustments made alongside that. We're actually like in a different couple of halls than the halls we are normally in for NAIC, which is pretty interesting. Um, I don't know. Yeah, Azul, you got any thoughts on that? Um, no, I mean, I've told you, it's about the time that it usually is, right? This is usually, um, I feel like NAIC or Nat, US Nats lined up with July 4th, like a ridiculous amount of years in a row. And now we've been kind of like bumping around between. Has it ever gone, have we ever gone too deep in July for NAIC before? Or has it always been like June into July or end of June sometimes, right? Um, I think it used to be 4th of July weekend for a while. Yeah, right? yeah. So it's always like July that for a while. first weekend. Um, maybe the second weekend one year, like the weekend after 4th of July, something like that. But yeah, never too deep, yeah. I mean, it's good to get the, the dates out early, of course, with this being the biggest event of the year, right? Most uh, most amount of players are going to be traveling to this. Uh, I guess, actually, to be honest, with how many Pokemon players uh, there are in Japan, I could see worlds being bigger just based on, like, spectators, right? There could be, like, yeah, insane number of people amount of with spectators. Feet in the venue, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but competitor-wise, NAIC is always going to be the biggest event of every single year. Um, and, yeah, it's good they got the dates out. This is reasonable, right? Reasonable time to get the dates out. We know where it is. And yeah, hall size looking pretty big. Like I said, hopefully we can, hopefully there's enough space for us to hit the 2K mark um, or at the very least not have it cap in like the first you know, hour or so. And hopefully registration is open for a little while. So everyone who can, who wants to go there will be able to, you know, get a, uh, get a registration slot. Yeah. So in the past, NAIC has been held in halls C and D. I've got a little map pulled up here on the YouTube for those of you watching on YouTube. Hall C is 70,000 square feet and hall D is 87,000 or is that 67? It's a little distorted. It looks smaller in the picture. So uh, regardless, <laughs> it's less than 100,000 square feet there. Um, yeah. And then if you look at the halls we are in, we are going to be now this year in hall A and hall B which Hall B holds 118,000 people, and Hall A is also kind of distorted, but it holds... <laughs> they look bigger. You know, I mean, does, Hall B looks as big as C and D. Exactly. So, I mean, I think this is probably a pretty decent sign that they're anticipating and preparing for this to be the largest ever. tournament ever. Yeah, in Outside America, of Japan. At least the, yeah. the western side of the world. Um, yeah. So I'm definitely excited for it. I mean, I, I've been in... Um, these halls before for origins i went to the origin special event one year they are definitely massive massive mm -hmm. rooms um so yeah and there's also i think on the internationals page it's also got confirmation that pokemon unite would be at the tournament as well so that adds like a whole nother layer of competitors spectators all that going on so yeah definitely interesting points to look at with as far as how what week big is, it could be what week is origins it's the, the week, week before? before, I believe. Yes. I wonder if we're going to have a special event at Origins or not. Because we did have one. That's interesting. Yeah. Was it the last NAIC pre-COVID we had a uh, special event? Or was it? No. It was maybe. No, was it? It might have been. I think so. Yeah. I think yeah. so. I wonder um, if we'll get that Origins special event or not. Um, and it's not even like, it's not even just good for North American players. We have quite a few other uh, international players, I think, come over and play in that as well, if I remember correctly, last time. Like, because it'll be like the week before some people some people came out like a week before 
played in that, if I remember correctly. Um, so yeah, I wonder if I'll have anything like that happening or not. That'd be interesting, though. Yeah, because I wasn't sure if it was the week before or week after. But uh, yeah, biggest North American event ever. It's looking like it's going to be. Hopefully, we can break. I just want us to break the 2K TCG match. I think we'll be able to. I think we're like, I don't know why we wouldn't be able to. I mean, we had 1,500 players at Orlando Regional. So I think breaking 2K for NAIC, as long as there's the space, wouldn't be too difficult. Yeah, I think it's definitely feasible. We'll see, though, what happens. I mean, that, that requires <clears throat> a lot of staff, a lot of other things going on. Um, but yeah, the, the NAIC dates were not the only things that were updated over on the regionals page. There was the addition of a couple of Latin America regionals, I'm pretty sure. Sao Paulo regionals and Santiago in Chile uh, in May and June, which is great for the Latin America player base. Because I think other than that, their only regionals was Natal, which is like really far away and really difficult to travel to from what I understand. And it also, I think it like capped really fast. So I think there's, uh, it's definitely good that the Latin player base is getting more tournaments, uh, but the Oceania player base was a little bit up in arms today on Twitter as well, because the Sydney <laughs> regional championships was moved. It was originally supposed to be taking place in May and now yeah. it's date has been changed. Uh, people were kind of hoping this was, intentional was to april 1st everyone was hoping it was an april fool's joke but no it is <laughs> indeed taking funny. place april 1st um which means a couple of things first off it was on the pokemon website that it was a different date so people had already booked travel now they have to try to reschedule and nope. also that means that the players will have to be playing in this same current lugia format which means all of oceania's four uh cp awarding tournaments assuming no league cups happen which at this point who knows right um if there is no league cups four cp awarding tournaments ocic and the three regionals are all in this same lugia format r.i.p to oceania man yeah that's uh that's rough to be honest this has been a very unfortunate extended format for sure um i mean it's it's bad for us here because we still have like what four regionals in this format. And that's like the majority of our regionals left were in this headband. Because like ground teams really didn't change anything, right? It's basically an extended format. Um, but yeah, it's even worse for <laughs> yeah, it's even worse for Australia. They have they only get to play in the Lugia format. That sounds so sick. Um, so sick <laughs> for sure. So I hopefully they get like I'm hoping that they get like another regional or some special events um towards the later half of the season to kind of make up for the lack of tournaments that they have um uh of course they did get a pretty big cp uh boost from uh ocic of course but um still they only have you know the three regionals plus ocic to get championship points what, what is it there they need 200 now right um so and looking at the leaderboard right now there are 13 australians qualified for worlds is that so with uh I'm with pretty ocic sure this includes ocic it might not though okay yeah no it probably does yeah, I would say so. Looking at these numbers, because it has to be Mia, Mia got yeah, top thirty-two, and that's, that's Mia's first tournament, points, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. They mentioned that that was their first tournament ever was OCIC. So, uh, I mean, you can see like there, Henry Brand is sitting at one ninety points. Doesn't even have their invite yet, and they only have one more tournament to potentially get it. Uh, August two. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw Henry show up at uh, NAIC. Um, but if Henry only plans to stay within, you know, Australia for tournaments, then. Uh, if they miss the points at the last one, then well, we won't have Henry at Worlds, potentially, which would kind of suck. Um, I'm sure they'll get it. I'm sure they'll get their last 10 yeah, points. Yeah, I'm not but, worried about that. Henry's um, got yeah, it, right? 
Yeah, I, I would guess so. But yeah, it does. It does. It's kind of unfortunate. I mean, it it sucks that they have to play all of their tournaments in this format. Um, and on top of that, they only have the four tournaments. So yeah, that's. I mean, that's pretty rough. I definitely feel for them for sure. Um, and they got bumped. <laughs> Do you yeah. have the? So ESL uh, Australia. Someone they tweeted out about the event, and someone from Australia asked like why did this event date get changed which i think is fair and it's actually cool australia esl australia did have transparency and explained what happened so pretty much what happened was first off apologies issues you and others affected to expand on the exact reasons behind the date change although our team had locked in venue options for the original dates our venue was our sorry our event was bumped out by another international sporting event coming in over the top of it with no options for us to remain we would always recommend players not to book non-refundable flights or accommodation until having a confirmed registration to the event we appreciate this is still frustrating to those who have made plans and exhausted all their options and attempt to keep the event on the dates originally listed on pokemon.com We'll be sharing additional info on registrations and more at Sydney soon. So, I mean, it definitely uh, feels like they tried everything they could. And I don't think this is, I mean, it sounds like pretty much another event came in and outbid ESL for this space, which is maybe kind of more on the venue than anything. It's kind of like, you know, crappy of the venue to like give up this space. I don't know if contracts had not been signed yet or what the deal is. I don't really know the inner workings of it, but at minimum, ESL was pretty transparent and straight up with what happened, but then it was discovered the event. It it feels pretty bad for them to say, wait until you confirm your registration before you book anything. But then they open up registration for their events, like three weeks before the event happens. This is true. Like, like you can't, like, how are you going to say that? And I hear it's pretty rough to, I think travel in Australia like it's expensive, right? Even within Australia to travel within Australia from what I've heard. Like, um, so for them to say, uh, you shouldn't be booking your uh, you shouldn't be locking in your travel or uh, accommodations until you've registered for the event uh, and then and then to not open registration for their events until like three weeks before the event. Right. That's what happened with Brisbane, I believe, or Perth. I forget which one. I think it was Brisbane. Um, I don't yeah. know. That feels that feels. Yeah. Crappy. <laughs> like <laughs> Once again, feel for the Australian players for sure. And then it was discovered by I don't know if Sableyes was the one who discovered it, but he tweeted it. Here it is, guys. The reason our season was ruined, and it is the Cake, Bake, and Sweets Show, Australia's ultimate event for baking and cake decorating enthusiasts, foodies, and families, taking place. Wait, is this for sure? Is that confirmed? I don't, I don't, I mean, I don't know how big the venue is. Maybe this is just in a different hall, but oh. <laughs> it's a good meme either way, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I saw One someone else tweet. to this was oh, like, go ahead. One of the replies to this was, yeah, Connor Fenton said, on the yeah. bright side, everyone with non-refundable flights has a cool baking event to go to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I get if you if you're gonna go, I mean you could still have something to do, I guess, at the very least. Try out some uh some cake. <laughs> I'm a big fan of cake personally, so I wouldn't be complaining too much personally if I had my flight locked up to go there. Yeah, but are you gonna pay up. hundreds of dollars to go try some cake, you know? I don't know. Cake's pretty good. That's how much the cake is. <laughs> like, is the cake free if you just have the pass and you just show up? Like, are you able to just like sample different cakes and stuff? I don't know. Um, but yeah, that definitely sucks. Definitely sucks for sure. Um, and I hope that I hope something happens, like special events or some more regionals get added for them for sure. Because if yeah, nothing else, just for an opportunity format. to play a different format. Man. Yeah, that's like, the biggest thing. On. Like, it gets worse for them. It like continuously gets worse for them. <laughs> like, Let alone qualifying for worlds. Like, just being able to play Pokemon. You know, 
that's what most people want to do, right? Like, I mean, looking yep. at these numbers for Australia, even with 200 championship points, you know, if there's only, um, what, 13 people now, like, I mean, what is Australia going to have at the end of the season? 25, 30 people qualify for Worlds. There's going to be 200 people who that. play in their tournaments, right? Yeah. So, like, in the majority of the people are playing in this tournament realizing they're not going to get a Worlds invite. They just want to go play Pokemon, you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah. they have to play Lugia format. <laughs> Have fun, guys. Have fun. If there was ever a reason to not play Lugia in a Lugia format tournament, I think it would be where you need to get, you know, a couple points for your world's invite. Are you going to risk it all in a bunch of mirror matches? I don't know if you want to do that. So, um, yeah. But uh, rough. Well, I think from there we can move on to everyone's favorite. One last last thing we can mention. There was also the two Latin America. Oh, did we already mention that? The two Latin America? Well, we we did talk about that, didn't we? All right, you got it, Chip. All right, let's move on to everyone's favorite segment of the podcast. Guess that flavor text where one of us picks a card and reads the flavor text on it, and then the other host tries to guess what Pokemon that flavor text uh, is from and the card belongs to. Uh, if you guess it right without using any lifelines, you get four points. And there is three lifelines you can use for each lifeline you, you you use. You do lose a point in the lifelines are what set the card is from, what stage the card is, and then read an attack name on the card chip are you ready for your card this week currently i'm leading by two points uh ready i'm so ready and i'm so ready to get ahead <clears throat> probably not the protuberances on its head serve Whoa. as sensors it can even detect distant prey the protuberances on its head serve as sensors so this sounds like some sort of like water type Pokemon, to be honest. My first thought was like Mantine for some reason. But I don't know that. I mean, it's got just kind of like a U head. I don't know if that's like a Manta Ray. I don't know if that's a protuberances, a protuberance. Um, <laughs> I think it's the first time I've ever had to read that word before. <laughs> protuberance. Um, it could also be like maybe like a. I mean, it could be like some sort of like ground type Pokemon that's like digging in the ground looking for prey or like a bug. I don't know, man. This is kind of tough. I Maybe I'm not going to be getting ahead this week. I might have to use some lifelines here. I'm going to start with um, read an attack name, I think. It has quick dive. Ooh, so that kind of sounds like a water or maybe a flying type Pokemon, like quick dive from the air down. So protuberance on the head as a flying type. I mean, maybe if it's like a bug flying type, something like that. Like things like moths have bad eyesight. Oh, maybe it's Butterfree. Do moths have bad eyesight? Is that like a thing? Well, I don't know. Butterfree's got those big pink eyes, but it's got a little antenna on the top, doesn't it? Or maybe Venomoth. What stage is the card? Is let me use another lifeline. Is stage two? Man, I'm kind of thinking Butterfree, maybe, and also because like as soon as I said Butterfree, you were like, "Oh, do moths have bad eyesight?" Uh, I'm just curious. <laughs> is that like a thing? Like I have never heard. He's that trying to before. throw me off the scent here, Azul. Okay, he's trying to throw me off the curious. scent. I was just curious. All right, I'm actually let me Google it right now. Uh, I'm gonna. Uh, yeah, they're like nocturnal, right? They can't see except at night. 
But Butterfree's not even a moth. It's a freaking butterfly. So no, <laughs> moths are not blind, nor do they have bad eyesight. Moths actually have two sets of eyes, so they see twice as good. All right, over uh, over information <laughs> overload here. Information overload. You're trying to throw me off the scent. I'm going right. to use my last lifeline. I'm going to ask what set the card is from. Go for all it's three. It's from uh, Forbidden Light. Hmm. I do not think there is a Butterfree in Forbidden Light. It is a stage two. Oh, man. Quick Dive is the attack. It's a stage two. Oh, Forbidden Light. That's the Malamar set. Let me make sure it's Forbidden Light. Oh, my gosh. How do you not just have it pulled up on PKM and cards? It literally tells you on the page what set it's from. I had to pull those. It is Forbidden Light. Yeah, okay. Okay. Um, that's the Malamar set, Ultra Necrozma. Um, man, quick dive. I'm just not even thinking of. All right, let me hear the flavor text one more time. Protuberance to find prey, right? <laughs> the protuberances on its head serve as sensors. It can even detect distant prey. Distant prey. I really got nothing here, man. There's not a Butterfree in the set. There's no shot. Um, I know I need to guess. Quick dive. I think it must be some sort of flying type Pokemon. I'm thinking like Pidgeot. I don't think there's a Pidgeot in Forbidden Light. I'm sorry, guys. I know this is like very annoying. <laughs> All right. right. I'm going to guess like, I'm going to guess like, I think the unpheasant that I'm thinking of is from like, oh, I think it's from Unified Minds. Um, yeah. I just don't know. I, I, I think this is an L for me this week. I'm going to guess unpheasant. It is not unpheasant. I don't believe there's an unpheasant in Forbidden Light. There is, so, however, a Vavillion. Mm. Um, but it's not Vavillion. It's oh. Garchomp. <laughs> what? It's I did like say ground type. I did say you did. I thought you had it. I was like, oh, shoot. Mm. I was just like, how many points is he getting now? And you're like digging Quick in the ground, dive. ground type. Dang. Its other attack is Royal Blades. If you had said yeah. that, I would have gotten it oh, for yeah. sure. <laughs> Dang it, man. I was never saying Royal Blades. I wasn't <laughs> sure. I wasn't going to. I had, like when I initially when I pulled up the card, I was like, oh, I can't pick this. It has Royal Blades. I was like, oh, but Quick Dive. Um, I actually thought this one would, would be one you'd maybe get, to be honest. Maybe I did pick no, a little bit fair. of a too hard of one. No, no, um, I don't think so. Like that one was like reasonable. It I'm is like, yeah, the I can't second say. print of the card, which is like kind of annoying. It's mm. not the one that came out in the same set as Cynthia. Which is like uh, the card. I didn't even think about with. that. Yeah, yeah. It's a so... good thing I found this one first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you one. just as easily could have picked the dragon type one. This is the exact same card that's from that was from Ultra Prism, which is where but Cynthia came out. Would that have given you a hint towards Garchomp? If yeah, I, I wouldn't. Prism? I didn't didn't think about Garchomp existing in this set. I maybe would have remembered Garchomp existing in Ultra Prism though. I didn't remember that there was a dragon in a fighting type one. To be honest. Yeah, that was All kind right. of a cool era where they like did that, where there was like a yeah. few Pokemon, like the Empoleon, right? Maybe what the Terra, what the Terrastal mechanic could have been, but instead <laughs> it's just freaking Bench Barrier. Uh, I mean, maybe they're gonna do something with it where they're gonna print some item. They're not. Azul, there's no yeah, shot. Okay. All right, it's well, cringe. It's just cringe. It's all cringe.
All right. Uh, to close out uh, the show tonight, we've got two regional championships coming up this weekend. Uh, yeah, Bonkham. and I think we can uh, run through this pretty quick. Uh, yeah. Because we're already at like an hour and a half on the episode, so. All right, Bauckham and Knoxville Regionals this weekend. Uh, and the first thing we kind of thought of when we were coming up with things to talk about for the event is uh, what is there really to say? Does anything like actually drastically change? Um, I mean, I think it's going to be Lugia 40%, Lost Box 20%, Mew between 12 and 15%, and then Reggie's 5, Arctura 5. Ecovault might see a spike. Yeah, if I go, it might see, I don't know if it'll see a spike in play, but it might see a spike in results. I think that's maybe fair to say, but it's never going to be a deck that like, since it's not going to be that played, it's never going to be a deck that um, we see like two or three of in top eight, I don't think, but like, I think it's the deck that we will see one in top 32 and it's like in top eight. I think that's totally reasonable, right? Yeah. So, so um, yeah, I mean, there's four more NA regionals <laughs> in this format, which is so crazy. It's this. We've got, to... we've got Knoxville, Vancouver, Charlotte, and Fort Wayne yeah. in the next two months, all in it's this half format. Of, uh, half of our regionals left are in this format. We have yeah. four regionals left after that. And then, like, yeah, like I said, Australia, all of their regionals are left in this format. Uh, Latin America, has their, their last two regionals are outside of this format, uh, thankfully for them. Uh, and in Europe... They only have one regional left on the schedule, actually. It is outside of this form. Oh no, they have two. They have, and they have Arkham. some special events as well. They have some special events. So they have they have a at least one event outside of it, I guess. Um, actually, I'm gonna look at the Europeans. I want, I'm just curious now, like how they have many like of three us... special events left? I think March. Oh, they have a special event in this format still as well, yeah. uh, and then they have one outside of this format. So so many events are gonna happen in this format. Majority. I mean, we say this format. Technically, we did get a set release of Crown Zenith, but no one actually thinks that way. Oh, we almost made it a whole episode without Azul dunking on Crown Zenith. (laughs) (laughs) Such a bad set changed almost absolutely nothing. Just kind of shook up how you play some Lost Box builds, but I don't think it would have actually changed how like effective Lost Box would be in a format overall. I guess the new it did boost Lost Box a little bit, right? That's kind of all we got was Lost Box have some more tools to work with. How often did you use Sky Seal Stone in the tournament? How many times? Uh, use it against Mew every game. I played against two Mews. Use it against Arcduras. I played against two Arcduras. That's it, I think. I didn't, even, I didn't use it against Lugia once. I don't even know if I used Dragonite besides my Arctura matchups, to be honest. So uh, it came up almost in the finals against Reagan, but not quite. Uh, yeah. It was not, uh, did not use it very much against the top deck, but it was good against all the fringe stuff. So that's sure. cool. More, I guess it's yeah, almost everything is fringe besides Lugia or Lost Box at this point, to be honest. Like, you might hit it, you might see Mew in a tournament, you might not. It wouldn't be that big of a surprise if you don't hit a single Mew or a Reggie or anything like that. But yeah, majority of tournaments left are in this format, which is unfortunate, I think, for everyone playing the game, especially all the Australians. Um, <laughs> yeah, I guess like one thing we could talk about, uh, is uh, lack of Dunsparce in Lugia at uh OCIC was interesting. I definitely liked it. I'm pretty sure uh, Rahul liked it. With the with playing the Reggies as well, so we were big fans of the lack of Dunsparce. But <laughs> I think that was kind of an int from anyone who chose to not play Dunsparce. I mean, Reagan still made it to the finals. Raz made top eight. Uh, did lose to Rahul though in the top eight. But uh, yeah, I think people are going to be playing their Dunsparces back in after after OCIC for sure. I don't. I can't imagine not playing Dunsparce to be honest. Yeah, it was like a 50-50 card. Fifty-seven percent of the day two players had it. Um, and I think and, if you like look a little closer, um, 
yeah, like like you mentioned, the top eight players didn't have it. None of them had it. Or well, no, Shin have it. Grant yeah, it, yeah, Grant Grant Shin had it. Um, but if we look down to the top sixteen, Pedro did not have it. Oh, did have it. That's Dunsparce on the bottom there. You missed it, bro. I'm trolling. It's right there. Yeah. There he is. Hey, what's up, Dunsparce? Carlos. Yeah, Yurko. Three of the top eight Lugias did okay. not have Dunsparce. But then once you get outside of that, I mean, it's probably just like a you know margin of error of who had Dunsparce and Top Gun and who didn't, yeah. right? But I think moving forward. You gotta rock the Dunsparce, right? Especially like I may I won the tournament, <clears throat> had the Zeraora in there. It's so much harder to beat Lugia if they don't have it. You had Pedro in there with the the Raikou V, and I even talked about adding Raikou V potentially to my list. Um, would maybe be a good inclusion to have like another option against Lugia to have that alongside the Sky Seal Stone, a little bit more of aggressive option for Chaos on Lugias mm-hmm. um, outside the Dragonite. Um, so that's like like yeah, I think you got like just moving forward. I can't imagine not playing Dunsparce at OCIC. Quite a few people did that. Moving forward, you definitely can't not play the Dunsparce, right? Yeah, I mean, I think it's got to be pretty worthwhile. Um, it's a one-card inclusion that fixes one of the deck's main weaknesses, right? So, <laughs> uh, pun intended. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's part of what makes Lugia hard to counter um, is yeah. Dunsparce. And if you're not playing it, yeah, like, I mean, your Lost Box and Reggie's matchups, which are, like, two of the other more popular matchups that are maybe going to be a little sketchy for you, um, become much, much, much worse. Yeah, so definitely. um yeah, so I guess one question to answer would be like where in the Lugia cycle are we? Like how susceptible is Lugia currently to things like control and paralysis? If we look at the OCIC lists, most people were pretty prepared for both of those things. And honestly, like control was like pr- reasonably popular at the tournament. Yeah. Like for control, like mm-hmm. I think it's as popular as control ever will be as for like a fringe deck. But like I was walking around during like round five or six looking at the top, you know, 50, 60 tables and there was like not a insignificant amount of control amongst those players. Yeah, I feel like every round I was sitting next to someone playing control. Almost every round, there was a lot of there was a decent amount of control for sure. A lot of the Japanese players brought it specifically, um, but just in general, there was a decent amount of control uh, and did okay in day two. Nothing great, nothing uh, no real standout performance, I guess overall. Um, but I th- think there were some people playing like Snorlax plus Bird Keeper. Um, I think the bird keepers and like the escape rope that like Raz had alongside the Irida, I think that will stay. Um, so the switch cards, I think, will continue to be played. I think it just gives you such a good matchup spread as Lugia to have something like uh, the one of switch card. Like you don't lose all of a sudden to so, so many other cheesy stuff, just like the Dunsparce. And it's like not a bad card to have around, especially if it's like the bird keeper, because then it's also like a draw supporter as well, like a pseudo draw supporter, not quite as powerful as a Marnie or a Research, but still pretty strong. Um, so I think less people will have stuff like Sonax Birdkeeper, less people will have Birdkeeper and Switch cards in general going into Knoxville. Um, but it still feels like it, there'll probably be too many people with a Switch card in their Lugia list to want to play something too paralysis heavy or too, uh, I mean, control is a little bit different. Like control can definitely beat a Switch card. What control is more scared of is like the Snorlax plus Switch card combo. It'll probably be a, quite a bit less of that. So I think control is probably in like a little bit better spot, but even just like the Switch card itself is really annoying for control, to be honest. So, uh, I would say paralysis decks are probably still on the, on the, the stocks are still pretty down on those, but control is like going to be feeling a little bit better after OC, OCIC for sure. Maybe not quite enough to want to actually play it though. So we talked a little bit about Vikavolt. Feels like it could be in an okay spot. It's never going to be the most popular deck. Um, I don't know how do you deck. how do you feel about Vikavolt? You kind of mentioned um, like at the beginning that it was a deck you guys had thought about at least a little bit before OCIC. Yeah, I mean, maybe its best time kind of was OCIC because people were cutting Dunsparce, which makes your aggressive prize trade with like Raikou plus Sky Seal Stone really good. 
Um, so maybe the best time for Viper Vault was kind of OCIC, and now it's going to get a little bit worse because I would expect the Dunsparces to be a little bit more popular moving forwards. Um, but even with Dunsparce, the deck is still solid, I think, overall. Um, I think more people are going to start to gravitate towards it a little bit. It feels like the deck that, and it's maybe just one of those decks that people just don't enjoy playing overall. Um, but it feels like it does get kind of left this, the wayside a little bit for how good it is versus how many people play. I know Grant hates the deck, but <laughs> like I think that Viper Vault's still a pretty solid choice and i think it's probably still pretty solid going forward even despite people probably going up and dunsparce count um because the deck is still reasonable against sunsparce if the deck couldn't beat dunsparce lugia it would be terrible but i think it's fine up against sunsparce lugia so it'll probably get a little bit more popular yeah I, th I think grant's hatred for the deck is going to make it very difficult for you guys to ever play it for <laughs> a tournament because he's just going to be vehemently against it during the whole testing process but yeah, i think um, it's decent yeah all right, and uh, if people want to play Lost Box, is the best way to play it. Just roll up with the the sixty that Azul just won the tournament with. Maybe adding in the Raikou V somewhere. Um, I don't know. I think there. I think Wash Energy was already. It was what twenty five percent of the decks. My prediction with thirty was thirty percent. I think it'll theoretically go down further, which means I think Kyogre becomes uh, a little bit stronger. Um, we did see uh, you know, the highest placing Australian player Aiden rocking the Kyogre uh, still themselves. Um, so and you coached out there. as well, right? Yeah. And like Kyogre's like like uh that's what uh someone in my group says, but Kyogre's literally the, the Aqua Storm is literally the strongest thing you can do in the game right now. Doing two hundred and fifty damage to potentially two of your opponent's Pokemon is literally the most powerful like move in the game right now. Um is the Kyogre. So I think Kyogre is still pretty good. I think one of the best attackers actually into Lugia is the Raikou. Um with the amazing shot. <clears throat> Being able to do like potentially 300 put 360 damage counters on their board and then potentially be able to utilize all that damage that gets put into play afterwards uh it's pretty good yeah so i expect less wash energy so i think just kind of snipe stuff in general in lost box decks is going to be better kyogre raikou there'll be less wash energy to deal with there wasn't that much to deal with to begin with like i said i think in day two there was 25 percent right um 25 percent of lugia's had 23% Lucas had the wash energy, which makes it pretty hard to use Kyogre or Raikou because they put down their mana feet with the wash energy. And you could play boss and boss up the mana feet, but that does kind of set you behind a turn potentially of like digging through your deck. Instead of playing Colors and using Sableye to kill the mana feet using boss instead of return is not something you want to be doing. So, uh, but we'll have to wait and see. But I think wash energy will probably go down overall. So I think playing stuff like Kyogre and Raikou moving forward would be good. But even just playing something like I played without a snipe attacker or something like Pedro played as well. Um, uh, would be still a pretty solid choice moving forward for Lost Box stuff. There's just so many different ways to play the deck, and they're all just, like, pretty good. And then whenever you have something, I don't know, just having, like, something in your deck that you don't think your opponent's going to know about, and it's so easy to fit those kind of things in your deck is, like, super powerful as well. So at OCIC this there. weekend, there was a bit of a resurgence from Fusion Mew, it felt like. Obviously, Owen Cameron got top four with the Mew Aerodactyl, which is the best placing Mew, um, but Fusion Mew won in the juniors division uh, as mm -hmm. a, a student of yours, Remy, and then it also got top 16 from David Deratan um, playing the Fusion Mew. I don't know. Yeah, Is there any reason to like reconsider Fusion Mew maybe for the first time in a few months? Uh, it just feels like your Lost Box matchup is worse as Fusion Mew because you have less consistent disruption options like the Roxanne and stuff is like harder to want to play. And we even see in David's list, there's no Roxanne. There's still like a path of the peak, some lost cities, but yeah, your lost box matchup is tougher with the fusion build. Cause you have to like, you want to build a little bit more aggressively. Like you have to play the fusion stuff to begin with the four fusion energy, some sparkles. And then no, generally no, no. you want to play a, a more aggressive list. But if we look at David's list, you know, three Kramomatic, 
still really heavy on the double turbo energy with four. Um, that's the first card I'm cutting from this list for sure, to be honest, personally. I'm cutting one of those four double turbos. That's eight energy in a Mutic. That's a lot of energy. Yeah. But um, uh, I don't know. I don't know if it's better than double turbo Mew because I feel like your Lost Box matchup is just worse than double turbo Mew. So that's kind of my... Uh, but I think your your Lugia matchup is better. So a little bit better matchup against the most popular deck, a little bit worse matchup against the second most popular deck. But I guess if you, you know, once you get to day two, the most popular deck does become quite a bit more popular. Like we even saw at the results from most of the tournaments most recently, the, uh, you know, Lugia is going up in percentage by quite a bit from day one to day two, whereas Lost Box kind of maintains, right? Like main, Lost Box is going from like 20 to 20. Lugia is going from like 30 to 40 to 50 percent right so there are some ad additional advantage to be gained there by playing the the fusion mew because you can it also like makes your prize trade a little bit more nice against the lugia deck because you can go like meloetta into meloetta into mew into mew and you actually get to use four attackers in the game which can really just like make it so you kind of just always win the prize trade up against lugia depending on what they actually have on board so i think there's some merit to it for sure but the lost box matchup is like the the drawback all right, and then Gudra or Ark Dura Azul. What are your thoughts? You had to play one. I put a gun to your head. You've got to play one of these two <laughs> decks, Azul. What are you doing? Um, well, ideally, I'd play neither. So if you could, if you have a choice to play neither, I'd go with neither. Um, if I had to pick one, I don't know, to be honest. That's tough. I'm leaning towards Gudra. But I think I don't think there's gonna be like Canson Cologne and stuff going forward. Like no, almost no one played yeah. at OCIC. Um so I feel like there's not gonna be a any extra Arc Dura hate, like uncalled for Arc Dura hate. So I'd probably say go with Arc Dura to be honest. And I don't think the Lugia decks will be playing like the Canson Cologne. Uh, most people don't already play like double vacuum, I feel like for the most part. Um I might be wrong on that overall. Like Raz only plays one, but that's because Raz also plays the Irida. Um Reagan played the double vacuum, I believe. If you look at like Yurko, Yurko had the Irida one back, and then uh, Grant Shen, I believe, had one back as well. So, yeah, I would say probably Arctura right now. I don't think I was going to be rocking Canceling Cologne. There's not really a reason to, it feels like. Yeah, the way Lugia lists are going, I feel like Arctura is just getting to be like a more and more questionable matchup. Um, you're always going to still lose not a great deck. You're, you're <laughs> always going to lose to Mew. It feels like, right? Um, maybe yeah. not Fusion Mew, though. If Fusion Mew's going up. Oh, well, I guess Fusion yeah, nah, Mew does. Still lose. They do they more damage with Max Miracle now, so yeah. it's maybe just worse, actually. <laughs> Even <laughs> if they don't bad. have Path to the Peak, right? Um, yeah, Mew's always going to be a bad time. Uh, but Arctur yeah. still is only like, like, if you go second against Lugia, like, it's, like it's, I feel like Arctur, it's hard for Arctur to get better than 50-50 against Lugia the majority of the time, to be honest. It feels like it's pretty close to 50-50. Sure. Uh, maybe if, if they have like nothing like no one's really taking it all for it then maybe arctur has a slight edge but it's not by a whole ton and then you're also playing arctur like you said gotta have to worry about stuff like dragonite and lost box decks and then yep. your mew matchup is not great and let's close it out with some predictions so we've got two regional championships this weekend so we're going to be doing predictions looking at the two regional championships bokum and knoxville um over under Lugia's in cuts. We're gonna set the over under for both regionals now at seven point five. So do you think Lugia will make up fifty percent or greater of the top cut decks this weekend, or will it be seven or less? So seven point five over under. Also, why don't you start? I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with under on this one. Under on the seven point five. 
think uh, we'll hopefully see some more people pick up and do well with like Lost Box decks. Maybe Muse. Yeah, yeah I'm going to go under. Yeah, I'm going to take the under here as well. And I think that's because like we could see one of the regionals have like five, but then the other one have just like two, right? Like I think that's yeah. totally something that could happen. So, um, and uh, more likely it'll be like three and three, but yeah, probably. Well, we could see four. another sixer. Who knows? It could happen. <laughs> a sixer, a little, a little sixer real quick. Yeah. Uh, next prediction we're going to go with is uh, the other. What does he think is going to be the most popular deck that is not Lugia in top eight? We'll have the next most uh, top eight placements. So go ahead, Chip. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's got to be the Lost Box most likely. Um, Makes I think sense. It, I mean, it's the second most played deck, right? Um, and there's still a lot you can do with it. There's like, obviously you won with the deck, but there's still, it doesn't feel like a super defined list. Like people can mm -hmm. play the way Pedro played it. People can play Kyogre. People can play Rayquaza. So there's still a lot of ways that people can go with it. Um, and it feels like people are still trying to figure out what is best, though your list obviously seems very strong. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go with Lost Box for the second most top eight placements yeah i was thinking about maybe saying reggie's but europeans just don't they either don't they play never reggie's they enough. don't play reggie's why play do they hate it or they just don't do well with it maybe they just they maybe still don't know how to play it well if you guys need to learn how to play reggie's you know uh, let us americans know i'm sure someone here would hook you guys up with some <laughs> some reggie you. coaching i thought you were about to plug your coaching <laughs> no. yeah but europeans i don't know if it is if you guys just don't like reggie's or if you're just not very good with reggie's not sure, but Reggie's doesn't do well in Europe, so that kind of takes away like half or a, one of the tournaments from Reggie's Benji doing well. I could see it doing pretty well in North America, of course, um, but if it's going to do pretty bad in Europe, uh, you said Lost Box. I'll go with Mew on this. I think Mew's still a pretty safe bet for a couple top eights. Will it outperform Lost Box? Who knows? Maybe if Reggie shows up big enough in North America uh, and Mew shows up good enough in uh, Europe, we'll have the Mews overcome the Lost Box. So I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Mew being the most top eight placements besides Lugia. All right. Highest placing Arceus Duraludon <laughs> across both events, right? So yeah. you only need to have one of them make a deep run if you predict it to, you know, depending on where you put this placement. Obviously, gonna pick the deck top X, to or hate. do you want us to do we want to pick a specific number? Ooh, interesting like choice. Top eight, top sixteen, top thirty two, or with, like yeah. I'm gonna think of the thirteenth. Let's, let's go with top X. All right, I'm gonna go with uh i did say well i'm gonna go with the top 16 uh, yeah arcturus it's still arctura even though i picked mm, it over the gujra deck I, I did kind of hype it up a little bit talking about it like things are looking it's like it's looking better for it but it's still like your glue game matchup's not that great so um and another thing you can always kind of you know back up some of these uh thought processes with is like you're looking at the you know the top 0.01 percent of players or even top one percent of players how many of them actually play arctura uh, besides Grant Shen. And it's not many, <laughs> right? Not many, if any, in the current meta. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to go with top 16 placement as the highest Arctur is going to get this weekend. I'm rolling up with the top eight, baby. I believe in the Arctura. <laughs> get in there. Get that CP, the extra prize money. Arctura is going <laughs> to make it happen. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just the meta seems like it's going to be just decent enough for it that. In one of the two tournaments, someone's gonna make a deep run. That's what my call is, and maybe it'll be a top four. But I'm gonna I'm gonna stay with top eight right now. That seems reasonable. Uh, and last prediction: Does control make top eight? Um, I guess we don't know for sure if Sander is going to. Uh, was it Bokum? Is that how you say it? Bokum. 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 We don't know if Sander's for sure going to Bokum, so that could influence this pick a little bit. Um, but what do you got, Chip? Do you think any controls will be able to pull out a top eight placement? 
control on the dock for you guys. What was that? Oh, oh, for us? I mean, I always want to play Control. I always want to play Control. It's just like whether or not I think it's good enough. Control was like one of our top picks going into OCIC, but tested a lot, like I said, against the Snorlax plus Birdkeeper, and it wasn't wasn't panning out how we'd want it to, so put it away. But like I did say, I don't think there's going to be many Snorlaxes. There'll be, still be some Birdkeepers. Um, so yeah, whenever I feel like Control's a good play, I definitely want to play it. That's for sure. Yeah, I'm going to go with no for this one, to be honest. I think there will probably be just a little too much respect for it, though I expect most people won't have great answers. I think there will be just a little too just much enough. for it right now. Um, obviously, I think if I knew for certain Sander was going to Bochum, maybe I would change my answer. <laughs> that would maybe would change mine as well. Um, but I'm going to go with one. I'm going to go with, yeah, I think a Control will make top eight. Um, I think there's a decent shot that Sander does go to Bochum, which of course increases the chance of Control making the top <laughs> eight by like probably like a, it probably doubles the chances to be honest. At least it gives it a um, solid amount of like twenty percent at least, right? Yeah, it has to give it quite a bit of a percentage boost for Control to make top eight if Sander actually shows up to an event. So I'm gonna go with yes, one in top eight. Hopefully Sander does show up to Bochum and pulls it off. Um, but yeah, that's gonna do it for our predictions. Uh, send us out, Chip. It's going to do it for our predictions and for our podcast this week. Thanks so much to everyone for listening, sticking with us for this long episode. Really appreciate the support. And uh, yeah, especially congratulations as well to Azul once again on winning his second IC. Proud of you, buddy. Um, if you guys want to support the podcast, the best way to do it is to leave a rating or a review on your favorite podcasting platform or drop a like and comment over on the YouTube video. These things only take a couple seconds and they really do help us out a bunch. If you want to follow along with us, the best way to do that is over on Twitter. You can follow myself at Chip Ritchie, Azul at Azul underscore GG. And you can follow the podcast at Uncommon underscore Energy. Appreciate the support as always. We'll catch you all, or good luck to anyone going to a tournament this weekend, Knoxville or Bochum. And we'll catch you all next Tuesday at uh, 7 a.m. Eastern. Peace.